Can you guys differentiate what is the difference between Ric Flair's woo and Sting's woo? I don't. That's all I can call it. What's the difference? The pitch. Yeah, Sting goes wow. <laughs> Sting's Sting's is heavy at the top. It's top heavy. Uh-huh. Where Flair's lingers. See, Sting is a tenor, and Flair. <laughs> <laughs> Sting sang bass. Ric Flair sang tenor. <laughs> the harmony, though, when you put them together, <laughs> makes you makes you wish that Ric Flair was in Revenge, like he should have been, yeah. so that you could hit the joysticks at the same time to see how that would sound. Oh yeah. Instead, you have to just do Sting and Goldberg, where it's woo and. <laughs> see, and these are the burning questions that we're going to be answering in season five. Welcome. It's episode two of season five from Sting to Hogan. It's the New Blood Rising podcast. We're going to be reviewing this week uh, NWA slash WCW. It's I've seen it credited a couple different ways, but the official one, I guess, is in, it's still technically an NWA Clash of the Champions, I guess. So I'll go. We'll go with that. Can you explain this to me? Because I have never really been able to understand it. Where it's oh you know it's WCW and WCW's emblazoned everywhere, but but they also mention the NWA still, even though I, I thought the NWA was done by this point, uh, or liquidated at least. It, it's it, it seems like there's a real identity crisis with with what company they're working for. Well, it's it's and Jason, you can you might be the between the three of us be able to answer this the best, but to me it was always like WCW is like the. It's like a territory within the NWA, right. basically, and because they bought Jim Crockett, and they bought right, and, I, and they bought I think a couple of the other ones in Georgia. I'm escaping my head right now, but um, to me, it's like yeah, they're like the territory within the NWA. I at this point, I don't even know yeah, what territories to, are left, right? Right, right. But I guess like at some point, it does dissolve like officially like the, or not really dissolve because it's still around because clearly like there's an NWA champion somewhere well, somehow Douglas. right right so it's still technically around but it's almost like they get out I, that'll be something to explore probably should have explored that before we got on the line Jason do you can you provide a better explanation than I attempted to well hello and um, no I can't I just remember and you know memories are foggy uh, but it was NWA on like the Saturday syndicated shows, but a lot of the stuff on TBS was WCW. And then one day it just stopped being NWA and was all WCW. Which the TBS um, stuff that makes sense because Turner owns it. That right. Make, that that part kind of makes sense because it would be a lot of like there. I remember there were at least two different hours of syndicated NWA stuff um, that would come on. It would it, and be two completely different shows, right? Uh, each week. So I mean, like, because they were, it was like the NWA was just like this federation, for lack of a better term, of a whole bunch of territories. So it would just be like, well, here's Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant versus 
some guy and then you know the same show would be obviously from a different place and be a different you know different other people but it was being shown in the same broadcast so hell i don't know but according to burger king it was the nwa yes we'll get into that that's a lot of fun so so we effectively haven't answered the question at all all not right. really, but but, <laughs> but see, I think part of the fun thing, like, and and um, we're gonna address this in a little bit. I think kind of the fun thing coming into this was that we're gonna learn stuff as we go, because mm-hmm. I, it's kind of fun to look at it almost through that prism of either we've never seen it before, or it's been such a long time that it's practically brand new again, and. You get to experience it kind of in the moment versus trying to bring in what your previous thoughts were about it or opinions. So yeah. that's that's what's really fun about this, um, especially like coming to something like a Clash of the Champions where it's like, I haven't watched a Clash. I think, now Charlie, you probably were at this show, the one that was in North Charleston Coliseum uh, in 94, right near the end of where this season's going to take us. I think that's the last, the last Clash that I ever saw up until now. Yeah, I, I believe I was there. Mm-hmm. I always, I always went to see WCW. So yeah, no. I'm pretty sure I was there. Um, but here we are. It's Clash Twelve. It's got a. I've never seen a show with this many names. It's Clash of the Champions Twelve, aka Fall Brawl '90, aka Mountain Madness, the Quest for Peace, right? Infinity War, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. Asheville, North Carolina. So. Uh, you know, definitely in the in the heart of WCW territory, I would say. You know, like you're in the Carolinas. This is where Jim Crockett prospered for many years. It's September fifth, ninety. So now we're about we're just about what two months removed from where we were last with Great American Bash, I believe. Uh-huh. Very short. It was like July seventh. It was close. It was really close to Fourth of July. I just couldn't remember if it was how close it was or after. But um. This is going to be this is a wild show on the network. It's clocked in at like what an hour fifty six, and they tell us they're going to get ten oh. matches in in an hour and fifty six. So, I think what's going to be fun, and I'd like us to just kind of like keep abreast of it as we go along. Like nowadays, everybody says like, oh, you know the they everyone bashes Raw for the way, and I've done it too. We all have like the way Raw is programmed, and it's all it's all this extra stuff and these long matches, there's tons of matches, it's boring or whatever at times. And it's like there are a lot of things that still were done in 1990 that are close to what's being done today. And and I kind of point at Jim Ross a little bit because he said he has said oftentimes that he couldn't commentate today because or at least commentate raw because of all the extra stuff he has to do with it. And he's doing it throughout this show. There are tons of plugs <laughs> that he is sneaking in <laughs> throughout like all Sting these Sting Watch <laughs> Night? No, 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 no. I really want to get into Sting Watch Night. Yeah. <laughs> that was I did, too. Question mark. I asked because that was 45 minutes away from my dad's mom's house. And I said, can we go visit grandma that weekend? And he said, no, your grandmother doesn't like you, remember? So I couldn't go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do remember. But yeah, We're already talking about it. Let's get this out of the way. So Sting Watch Night. If you're under the age of 14 and you're getting in there legally, because they keep pointing that out, you have to have an adult with a ticket, then the first 1,000 kids under 14 get a Sting wristwatch. Now, you know these things have to cost at least a buck to make, and they're giving them away to the first 1,000? Yeah. WCW is doing – how much money are they losing by doing this? 
There's no like they've got to be cutting into their gate big time by doing a, this Sting wristwatch night, which even Bob Cotto was like, "Hey, get me one of those." Oh, <laughs> oh Bob Cotto. Oh, should, should we talk about him at the it beginning? Just seems like a, all through, he's going to be. All right, he's got a big target on his back. He's like Austin in the '98 Rumble. We're we're gunning for him. We're coming for. <laughs> so we're coming for. It just seems like WCW is going to lose a lot of money on wristwatch. That was a good point, though. Like, I mean, this is 1990. Like a like a thousand dollars like that is not is not just chump change. And that's a, yeah, and that's if it costs a, th- a buck to make them. That's if. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about this too, though. If they're running something where they're getting a share of the you know, snacks and popcorn and shit being sold, then if they're luring out at least, you know, a thousand kids, then, oh, mommy, I want some popcorn. Mommy, I'm thirsty. Blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, it it could pay itself off in a way. They could break even. (laughs) That's the big takeaway. Who's the Black Scorpion? Fuck that. How did they afford to watch this? And how are they keeping track of the thousand? Like, like, is everybody coming through one door? Yeah, that's. Or are they like wa- walking, talking, and back and forth? I'm willing to bet it's just as soon as a thousand watches go, then that's the end of it. I've been googling this, and I've been I'm looking it up again because I tried it before just to find like, and all the Sting watches are like from Crow Sting. Like I've been trying to find like somebody who might like be trying to pawn it off on 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 eBay. <laughs> One of the thousand kids, you know. God damn. Forty, forty-two now. I just can't tell if this one's it, is it. Like, I mean, like it. It looks like the classic WCW, but I don't know if it'd be that. Anyway, it's not that big. Well, maybe maybe they is, didn't give him the watch. Here's one. Okay, okay. I may have to post this. I'm not sure. It looks like. Okay, so it looks like they took that Galoob figure and it's actually on the watch. That a, a small miniature version of it. And the reason mm. I say it because this looks like definitely like 1990. Yeah, yeah. This is. I don't know, man. That may be the one. If they gave that away, that looks like that may be worth more than a buck a. Than a well, buck the Lou paid for it. I mean, if, if they See, were I was there, wondering, yeah, boy. if WCW outsourced the, to to another place where the money would come from uh, them. Those figures, by the way, I don't have to dig into it too much right now, but man, those are still the best figures I've ever seen for wrestling because they look so good. They look so close oh, to the. Oh, they looked good. Absolutely. Uh, the one that. The one that always blew me away was Arnie Anderson. Yeah, and the, and the thing that was great was, was perfect. Well, the thing that was great was yeah, when you would play with him, the hair would actually disappear. Because <laughs> you'd be, you know, DDTing him. Like, Arnie Anderson, the toy aged wonderfully. It aged just like he did. <laughs> so it, it just like the bald spot got bigger and the hair got a little wider, but nothing else changed. Right. Wyndham right. was awesome because he had like his arm like in a constant lariat or forearm, whatever he wanted to do, and he had these awesome black boots that they had painted on him, and he had that ponytail. Yeah. The Wyndham figure is I, good. I also liked uh, the Scott Steiner figure. Yeah, uh, Steiner Brothers era. That yeah. thing was so cool. Yeah, because his arm was like up in a lariat also. Yeah, and he had a ye- yellow onesie on, and uh, the Frankensteiner with him. I mean, you could do it the the, the bad way, right? And it would <laughs> and it would just look amazing. Sid Sid looked like he was right out of like Jericho's entrance with his yeah. arms out, like break the walls that down. Was, and that was the first oh my god, thing. Sid vicious is Y two J. Oh no, Y two V. That was the first figure I ever had. Yeah, actually, 
Yeah, so I, yeah, I still have it somewhere. I love that Sid figure. It's perfect for the power bomb. They're all really great figures. They really are. And I don't think they made like a ton of them, right? Like it's really just like the core s- stars. I don't I know. I think how... those are the only three I had. I uh, had. I'm trying to remember. Ones. I had Stinger. I had Luger. Steiner's. Pretty much the Horseman, except for Flair. I don't think I ever had a Flair. I had the crappy uh, Hasbro Flair figure. Oh, the Bendable. No, 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 no. It was the, it was it was kind of like the uh, it was the same model as the Rick Rude uh, figure, which was you could put him in a headlock, and if you pulled his arm back, it would punch the guy in the head. You know, it, just, oh, it was yeah. a real nasty like looking move. And yeah, and and it worked fine for Rick Rude because you could do the Rude Awakening. Right. Uh, but Rick Flair, like he should have had a different layout. Yeah, because Rick Flair, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen him do a headlock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, so you guys ready to dig into this? Oh yeah, I mean, we got a show to do. Here. So let's. So we go to. Um, I, I do want to start with the fact that we go right to ringside with with Ross and Cottle, and I love that they're. I loved when wrestling did this, and I don't remember when they stopped, but I feel like it went on for a while, even until like the Attitude Era, where you could call and talk to a wrestler about what's going on. Man. <laughs> yes, Sting, what happened? <laughs> We only got to talk to Sting for 25 minutes, and it was right. you had to call. And man, I raked up a forty to five dollar phone bill. I still remember this beating um, because I didn't have anyone's permission. <laughs> Jim Ross told you to make sure you had your parents' permission. They didn't know. All it said was, <laughs> if if you don't have your parents' permission, hang up. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> just hang um, up. Do it. Yeah, it, do it. It didn't say when, but what would happen is if there was like this weird. Thing is if you were getting a recording if you weren't getting to actually talk to Sting. Because, I mean, you know, he's not, like, going to do a conference call with 8,000 kids, you know. <laughs> Barry from Toledo, you're on the line with Sting. Yes, what do you think about the firing of... No, 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 none of that. It's like, no, it was just really weird because it was these pre-recorded messages um, that would go... One of my favorite wrestling things ever was during like the before the attitude era when the nwo invasion was like the biggest thing was dave Meltzer's rumor line that you could call for free yeah and because it would be advertised in the newspaper and still where he was like expect goldberg to join the nwo i still love that because anytime people go you know that old uh dave Meltzer, he's the most accurate wrestling rumor guy i still go goldberg and the nwo got it mm-hmm. i used to call mike mooneyham and just bother yeah. him Mooneyham had a hotline too. It was that he actually Mooneyham, had. Yeah, he had a hotline, and like, first of all, I, I would call his radio show and bother him there, <laughs> and then I would call him on his business line. And I remember, like, we spent like twenty minutes talking about Ric Flair once. <laughs> he, loved, he just, yeah, he. Loved, I mean, if you got, it, I mean, he could be agitated, like, because I asked him once about Rick's about Scott Steiner, and he just wasn't having it. And he's like, I gotta go, and. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but Ric Flair, if you just said that, oh, man, he just went off the rails. He's, I, he's all about talking about Ric Flair. I love Mooneyham, especially nowadays, like, on his Facebook. Like, he constantly posts pictures of himself eating food somewhere. Like Always. And he's got the same look that he has <laughs> for, the, uh, for his photo from the newspaper. He's still got that. Dude, I mean, do you see the plates he's got? Yeah, man. I, I mean, that Golden Corral is like, I mean, he's got all of the Golden Corral at his table. They should. He's about to eat Jeff Foxworthy. He's got no, no, no. <laughs> he, he should go down to a, a what restaurant is it? I don't want to say Shoney's, but that's probably incorrect. And just like have a have a plate named after him, like, like Moons Over Hammy or something. 
go to Scott Steiner's show and he's go, you know, some punk ass kid kept calling me perfect. on my radio show back in the day. <laughs> that's perfect. Eat those pancakes or what? And then he just kicks him. Like, I remember calling the radio show once saying, that's a shame about Gorilla Monsoon dying. And he's like, yep. And I'm like, oh, man. Well, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the equivalent of the Big Gulp conversation yeah, in Dumb and Dumb. It was. It was. <laughs> All right, oh, so man. so the Freebirds, we like what's cool with the Clash is that you can tell the big players get videos, not Titantrons necessarily, because they don't have. I don't think they ever show that in the in the Asheville Civic Center. No, dude, no, no, no. It's actually kind of uh, um, not off-putting, but like it's kind of bewildering, like the way that they like. Oh, here's here comes this guy, and then they show him coming down the aisle like six months ago. <laughs> there was a lot of footage from the bash. Yeah, yeah. it really was. It was, but it, it was I think it's cool they were at least trying it for the TV audience. Like it was kind of neat, mm-hmm. and especially for the Freebirds because I'm pretty sure like they were way ahead of the curve when it came to this type of thing. Oh yeah. man, their video was cool. Yeah. I mean, video to be, was like, watch cool. It was cool. So cool. Michael Hayes looking like alert and confused in the window of that old house with no shirt on, steps through the door, and suddenly he's leathered out. He's just ready to go, and those toughs are like, no, no, that's PSAs. They walk away. It was amazing. I love that video. I really do. And and I always like that song, so I'm like, oh, yeah, the Freebirds are cool again. And then they start walking down the ramp. Yeah. This. Oh, no. So they're Confederate taking... Okay, so let's all right. We'll we'll, we'll acknowledge that first. off, the Confederate warriors have arrived uh, in <laughs> full garb. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. And what's hilarious is that they're facing the Southern boys, who, of course, this is the Civil War within the Civil War that we've got going on here. I mean, this is intense. We've got. I mean, and and immediately, like I had to laugh. I was like, never, n- never would I would have I would I have imagined that we would get. We would get a Confederate versus Confederate match <laughs> in the South. Whoever wins, we lose. I was looking immediately. I was like, "Who's watching this in the crowd? Like, who's out there?" And didn't seem like there was too much hoopla about it. But uh, so before we dig into, the, like, before I turn it over to Jason to walk us through this fun spectacle, um, throughout each of these cards. We had somebody reach out to the pod who's actually going to be, in a way, doing a little bit of what Colin did for us in Season 3 with ECW. <laughs> um, this is J.D. Sloan, all right? He's at J.D. Sloan underscore TN. Now, he actually has a pod. It's the Tape Trader's Guide to the 90s Pro Wrestling, and it's on Podbean, Stitcher. It's on YouTube. You can, you can if, you, if you search for WrestleTopia, because that's also the Twitter handle that you can, you can find him at, at WrestleTopia, if you put that in any of those search engines, you'll find the show. Now, he's a great source for kind of some background on some of these things. So that's going to be, I'm going to be trying to set some of that up here a little bit before each of the matches, before each one of us talks about them. Real quick before Jason takes over, th- this was supposed to be a six-man tag with Bullet Bob and Buddy Roberts involved. But basically, the in-ring return and the return to the Freebirds for Buddy Roberts, but he was still injured. So they had to have him on the outside, <laughs> and as a um, classic WCW man. Yeah. On a, as a side note, Steve Armstrong was a babyface singing "Cowboy" in the WWF for a short time in '92. The idea was later tweaked to fit 
Guess who? Mayhem Jeff Jarrett in 1993. The rumor was Steve was scared about failing a WWE drug test for a pot and quite <laughs> and quit in the middle of a tour. <laughs> oh, shit, man. I'm out. He's on his way to the <laughs> ring. You know what? I'm not going to pass. didn't even cry. <laughs> All right. So, Jason, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Jason, is this under, did I hear Australian rules? Oh, we did. Okay. Um, so, I, I don't know what Australian rules means. Apparently, that means both teams have a manager. That's well, what Australian rules means. I, I thought it was no rules just right. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that's going to piss some people off. Um, one of the oh, is that, we that know- Australian? <laughs> Wait, Foster's isn't a real beard? Uh, I did not know that. <clears throat> the Freebirds versus the Southern Boys. They're no longer the Wild Odd Southern Boys. Because I guess. Maybe 30, 38 Special Crackdown. <laughs> they had that other hit that we don't know about from 38 Special called Cease and Desist. So. <laughs> but man, uh, yeah, so this, it's, it's announced. As a six-man tag to the people there. Uh, Buddy Roberts is hurt, so Bullet Bob just won't be in the match. JR says it's an, be under Australian rules, and he still never explains it. Right. You know, like, there's no, like, okay, for the folks at home in the South, this is what Australian rules means. Like, you know, Crocodile Dundee is not going to show up. There's not going to be knives, whatever. It's like, just raise give us something. But it never does anything. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> trying to get me to crack up. Trying to make me break worse than Bill Hader last night. So, um, you're right. <laughs> yeah. There was a t- there was talk, like so between the last show and now, there's apparently been a best of three series between both champions of the Confederacy. Uh, but they say, but it solved nothing. How does a best of three solve nothing? <laughs> Did Mick Foley show up and force them to be a four person tag team together, and then yell and point at their fingers? No, no. They just said that the trophy was awarded, but that's. That Bullet Bob broke the trophy. So, is he the heel? Um, but we get Tracy Smothers right off the bat. He goes, you know, that karate bit went over pretty well against Stan Lane. I'm going to try it against the Freebirds, who just kind of take one hit and do their whole cowardly heel shtick. Um, and this is a question I wrote down to ask Charlie. So, when people go for a double pin, shouldn't that technically break the pin up? Yes. Yes, oh my God, you all right? <laughs> no, because the double the double pin is so stupid to me because uh, you know, like like let's say for instance there's a double pin and the ref starts counting with both hands. What if like the first guy kicks out at, at two and the other guy's still down? Like, oh, I'm not even talking about that one. I'm talking about where both members of the Southern Boys pile on top of, I can't remember which Freebird. So one guy's down covering him. Oh, the ref, one guy. Know, so another guy jumps on top of him. That should break the pin up. And it's not even the, the right pin. guy. It's not even the right guy uh, that's, that's, that's actually like on the bottom doing the covering. And I, I think that's why they, they, they did it. He's like, no, 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 you're not supposed to. Oh, what the hell? You know, dog pile. Yeah, but it's so bad. It's still just because oh, everyone look. Because is someone going to win? They go, yay? Because, you know, when you have something like that, you got the Undertaker, Kane, both pinning Austin routine. So are both the Southern boys going to be the champs? Um, there's no stakes in this match. Uh, Bullet Bob, since he has no degrees, Jim Ross decides to tell us about his background being a firefighter and says that he was a martial arts instructor 
in the Marines, and that's why he looks at Tracy Smothers like a son. What? <laughs> you like martial arts too? That sounds like like blood sport. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Tracy Smothers is Frank Duke. Yes. <laughs> man, if this match sucks, we all gonna die. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but but I mean, you get a lot of the same stick. It's like the the Freebirds. So far, what we've seen is they just rely so heavily on their heelish reputation. They don't do a whole lot, which is, you know, which is okay. Because you hear about all these old-time wrestlers bitching about all the stuff the guys do now. You ain't got to do a whole lot. You Watching this, you kind of do. You got to do at least a little more than this. Um, but Bullet Bob, you know, he's it's just, it's going insane with all the shit going on because you know the Freebirds do their stuff the crowd is every time one of the wild out southern boys does anything slightly good looking they jump up and do that annoying rookie heel yeah look at me look what i did pop it gets really old really fast when you see it every other move and then here comes bob coddle to change <laughs> the mood of this match as he says that if robert e lee had the southern boys Atlanta might very well be the capital right now. <laughs> and Jim Ross, who is clearly holding back some laughter of some kind, whether it's like, oh, shit, I can't believe you said that, or what, says, my Bob, that's the fighting spirit he needed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we're like, Bob Powell's going to have a target on his back, but not just because he's saying stupid stuff, because I think that this is the last Bob Cottle we're going to get, because I think it transitions to, to Paulie. Yes. Company. I know for and sure that he's a Havoc. I know that for a fact. So, it's like, Cottle's like, I got nothing to lose. It's almost like what he's doing. <laughs> um, so, it's, it just cracked me up, because well, as soon as he said that, that really put him on my radar for this um, thing. There is a nice bulldog sale by Tracy Smothers. Like I like how he rolls up into a ball. When he does it, and Michael Hayes reacts to him kicking out of a pin, like I'd like to see more people react. He tries to pin him again, yeah, with a little more aggressive right. pin, the arm down. When that doesn't work, he <clears throat> then proceeds to punch the fuck out of him. Enough of this. Oh my God, I can't believe this move that never worked didn't work this time. Shit that people overdo. It was nice to see someone go, okay, you're okay. That didn't work. Fine, this will. It was really, really good. Um, Bob Armstrong then turns into a trained ninja stealth assassin as he just moseys on into the ring, punches a free bird, and then walks right past the ref who apparently didn't see. <laughs> He's like, he almost shoulder checks him. It's just like <laughs> the ref doesn't see it and takes his time getting out of the ring. The Freebirds then throw in what Jim Ross describes as an international object. What the fuck is an international <laughs> object? It, it looks like a roll of tape. It doesn't even look like anything. It could be a warped horseshoe. I don't know, but it looks like he just throws in a roll of tape. And then, <laughs> Probably from Australia. <laughs> that's what the Boy. Australian... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's unveiled that, that Buddy Rogers, excuse me, General Buddy E. Lee, Jesus Christ, isn't really hurt as he pulls the foreign object from his arm in a sling. But mercifully, this match ends in a double pin, but thank God it's over. Um... But, you know, I, I, I gave it a four because it made me laugh a lot. Charlie, what would you think of this? It's not good. <laughs> the, Coming out hot. 
the JR, I, I, I did like how he pointed out that the, uh, the Freebirds were the first group to use rock music for their entrance. And it's, it's weird trying to put myself in, in the mindset of, of a fan in the 1990s. So it's because, like, you know, you watch this show and it, and it looks old. It just does. But you think about what music was doing in 1990. And the Freebirds, I can't imagine that they could have seemed anything other than outdated in 1990 like yeah we love that music video at the beginning which right. is really cool it is but i like i've seen a lot of music videos from 1990 and it it looks like it's 10 years behind the times um unfortunately and i think I, it makes it just makes me realize that the freebirds probably didn't age that well and, and especially in 1990 I, I don't i don't think that like like what whatever revolutionary status that they would have had with that rock music thing i mean it's 10 years is a long time in wrestling because i started thinking back on it. i was like well hogan used to come out to bruce springsteen uh which you know back in the days when nobody knew the lyrics to born in the usa right so yeah like i thought that was cool but at the same time i was like yeah the Freebirds are like they've got to be nearing the end here um Jason pretty much hit on everything that I thought was notable. I'm glad he, you brought up the the international object or whatever. Like that was so baffling to me, I didn't write it down because I was like, "What? What is he? Ta- what is I that? Mean, like, is that a twist and on I, foreign object?" Yeah. Oh. See, see, I never said it out loud, but that that that's the only way it would make sense. But but foreign means can mean different things. Right. International really only means one thing right like <laughs> so I, that's probably that, what he meant yeah that object came to take people's jobs charlie <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna take the pin it's, it's, <laughs> just pin the international object um so <laughs> like i said jason you pretty much talk, uh, touched on everything uh, except except one thing and this is the one thing i'll point out um <laughs> I don't know how effective a double DDT actually is. It actually seems just kind of clunky if you think about it. I remember it was one of those moves that you could never do with figures to where, like, the guy would end up, like, landing over the top rope. (laughs) Because it's just too many pieces of plastic landing on each other. But the... uh, the way it looks here, because uh, Bullet Bob gets a, a double DDT <laughs> applied to him, and it looks incredible. <laughs> like it almost changes my mind on the move. I was like, "Oh, that looks like death." <laughs> I was like, "That's really good." So that was my that was my favorite part. Um, but I'm with Jason. I give this a four. I'm only a little bit higher. I gave it a five. I I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed I enjoy the Southern Boys. I think they are a fun tag team to watch. Uh, they're a great team to throw in at the opening to get things started. I think the Freebirds do a great job of doing what what they're really best at, and that's being cowardly heels. It's it's interesting because afterwards they just beat the crap out of them, out of everybody, to get their heat back. And we're going to see them in a promo in a little bit. But um, <laughs> I, I like that they they did their they they stuck to what they're really really good at. It definitely feels like they're outdated. This whole face paint Confederate thing is just—it's really grasping at something that just really isn't there. Like they just—they—they they definitely seem like they are being left behind, and it's great because it feels like they kind of acknowledge that in a little bit in their promo. So it actually works pretty well. 
Um, some of the the five points you guys you guys are exactly a hundred percent on. Like a double sunset flip for the the pen is just all right, whatever. But I mean, it's a different era. Like you know, we're gonna see a backslide in a little bit. That's like the finisher of death for some of yeah. these guys. So you know, I I think it's fine. Uh, Again, like I think it was a great. It's a great way to still keep getting over the Southern boys. I'm interested. Like one thing is like I'm interested to see where they go. Like it's fun to now think about. All right, well, what's the what's the trajectory going to be for these guys? Are they going to be U.S. title content tag title contenders or whatnot? You know, like that's kind of fun to to think about. Um, that went about eight thirty four. It's interesting to look at the times on some of these matches just to see where they're headed. Eight thirty four is where we ended up there. We now shift to Tony Schiavone with the new U.S. Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, who beat the hey, Midnight. What, hmm. what do you give it? I gave it a five. God dang it! I said that, that right off the bat. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get Scott Steiner versus the English language. Oh man, it's, it's funny. Like he's so subdued, but stumbles badly out of the blocks. Like just can't get his promo started. It feels yeah. like. And then the Rick, thing that's great is, uh, oh, I'm sorry. He makes a list. He actually gives. gives there's two things, and I'm like, oh god, not numbers. <laughs> and he he manages to count to two, and he still fucks up the promo. <laughs> My favorite part is Rick's, and we're fighting Maximum Overdrive. We never heard of him. <laughs> There's not even. We're looking forward to defending our titles against this. We never heard of him. So like, it's, it's like it's like, it's like Rick counters, huh? What was that? Is it 1990? The year that movie came out. Maximum, uh, Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, let's go to the, the video Stephen tape. King Emilio Estevez thing. Yeah, I think that's the year it came out. I'm gonna look it up. There's, well, Actually, no, no, no. It might be 88 because it had an ACDC soundtrack. Yes. I think it is a little bit before 90, just offhand thinking about 86. it. 86. Okay. 86. Okay. All right. 86. All right. When did that come out, yeah, Charlie? God dang. When did that come out? <laughs> <laughs> How did we miss that? A three-day Stephen King cocaine bender turns into a fun movie. No, it doesn't. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just funny, though. Rick's way of doing a promo is like, well, he... It's we have Scott stumbling in this subdued kind of way, and Rick just goes like pick up the intensity. And I love how his whole his he he has no guidance at all where he's going in this. He has no idea what the roadmap is of this promo because he says they don't know anything. But we're coming for Doom. We're coming for Doom in the World Tag Team Titles. <laughs> Swerve. There's a lot of promos of people calling out other people in this match that yeah. they're not facing tonight. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Sting has got. I mean, he it. it, it I like that people call out Sting because it's like everybody's coming after the world champion, which is what you should be doing if you're if you're if you're wrestling. You know that's where you ultimately want to be going for. But it's a uh, <laughs> it is funny, Jason. Like everybody's like not focused on the match tonight. They're clearly like ah forget. I, I, what's my next storyline? I, I don't care about this. Everyone is far is more this... interested in their future match with Sting. <laughs> yes. Is this Every... just a house show that we're taping for some reason? <laughs> like yeah, I gotta fight Buddy Landell. That's great. But, but I'm, I'm really focusing on my future match with Sting. I'm like, not all of you can fight Sting. Uh, it's, it's just one like of the, my. It's like the kids calling into the hotline. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. There's a clip from when Triple H was in uh, WCW as one of the Blue Bloods, and it's like one of his first debut like vignette promos. He's talking to I can't remember who he's talking to. And he's, like, new to the scene and immediately comes out, like, challenging Hogan for the World Heavyweight Championship. And this guy just goes, 
what about all these other people? He just starts like laying like the bottom of the freaking mid card for this guy. And he goes, yeah, yeah. But it, it's like, hmm. It's really poetic that that's like, I'm I'm new. I want the world champion. Give it to me. It's great though. Like he admitted himself that he was just trying to. He was like, you know, I was trying to, a young cocky kid. I was trying to get somewhere really quick, so I figured calling out the champion is what you do. That's right, a good way right. to go about it. <laughs> so now yeah. we, go, we head back to the ring for Buddy Landell versus CM Rotunda. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my yacht. What do you see? <laughs> I'd love to hear that pipe bomb from him. Just He just has enough. <laughs> Starts reading off tax codes. Razor's gold chains. Crap. <laughs> they stuck me with it. Money Incorporated. I carry DiBiase. <laughs> I cold cabana. <laughs> SummerSlam 91, and I get stuck with Greg the Hammer Valentine. Who... <laughs> Flying clothesline. Worst finisher ever. They gave it to me. Yeah, you don't see me on your little programs for SummerSlam, do you? You're not getting your little collector's cup. The, <laughs> the, the Captain Microtunda ice cream bar. <laughs> I've got to photoshop him is a on millionaire. There. Yeah. He should be a thousandaire. <laughs> <laughs> they kept giving me a C-pack and telling me I would be fine. <laughs> Shit my pants on SmackDown. <laughs> I'd like to think that WCW will be fine after Ted Turner's dead, but instead it'll be taken over by Eric Bischoff and his and his doofus ex WWF writer Vince Russo. <laughs> Who the hell's that Ferraro? <laughs> cut the mic! Cut the mic! Two years later, Jim Duggan digs the TV trash can out, or TV title out of the trash can. Mike Rotunda shows up with the TV title. Who's <laughs> the real champion? Yes! <laughs> and, oh, and Jim Crockett. Well, let me tell you a story yes! about Jim yes! Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It just hit me when I when I was putting that when CM I was writing. Yeah, it just hit me then. I was like, "Oh, that is awesome." I, sh- I should be going for the belt instead. I got tune-up match with the Iron Cheek at the bench. <laughs> All right, it so worked. a few notes here. This was only a few months before Rotunda would lose the boat captain gimmick and become Michael Wall Street, which was a direct jab at Vince McMahon. Yes. Um, Landell was uh, was far removed from his best time by this point, though his run at Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 92 uh, through 95 and Ozark Wrestling in 95 were still great times in the career of Buddy. And I will recommend, again, if you can find it on maybe Daily Motion or somewhere, it's Brett against Buddy Landell in the WWF. It's a pretty good match. It's a pretty good match when mm-hmm. Brett is on top. Um, uh, Charlie, I, I, you've got to. I, please tell me you're going to go right into the Burger King tie-in here with this. Actually, I, I, I wasn't. Uh, oh, okay. I, I wasn't. I was going to go into the uh, the weird promotion of Skid Row. Okay. <laughs> I was. Can we so, talk about this? Yes. Like, does this you make Buddy Landell your favorite wrestler now? Instantly. Like, because it's like, it's one thing to call out Skid Row and be like, oh, they're the greatest band ever. It's a completely separate thing for the camera to come back to you and you actually name out a, a member of that band specifically and it's not Sebastian Bach. I know. And 
he because he goes snake sabo and, and it's like I, he's a great guitarist but like no one ever talks about anyone else from that band and i was like what is the relationship between skid row and nature boy buddy <laughs> <laughs> like and skid row they hadn't even released slave to the grind yet they'd only had oh. that first album and and they're like they're the greatest band in the world and i'm like uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, they're great, sure, but they haven't. They only have one album, and honestly, it, of the first three, it might be their worst album. <laughs> so, like, I was just kind of floored by that. And he had that tattoo, and it had to be fake. It, it just it, there's there's just oh, no yeah. way. Like, but this definitely grabbed my attention. Um, and then I think Jim Ross. Oh, what what was it like? Because there was actually like a little competition with him and Bob Cottle because they started talking about Skid Row being the greatest band. And then I think one of them mentioned the Rolling Stones or something. And it's like, well, yeah, you, you see the the holes in this theory that Skid Row might be the best band. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I mean, it was just it was strange enough for me to really notice it. <laughs> but um so the, uh, the only other note I have for this match is that this is the first time the uh, the Sting wristwatch night is mentioned. <laughs> it, it's not the last. It's it's definitely not the last. <laughs> but but I, when they first said it out loud, like I almost rewound it to, to see if I had misheard it because I thought it was very strange that they said the first thousand kids. Um, because I started thinking about the math of it and like I'm looking around at the arena that they're currently in. That place only looks that place only looks like it seats about twenty five hundred, maybe three thousand. And I'm like, and they're expecting over half of the audience to be kids. Was, well, that was that wasn't Sting Night. Sting Night was going to be in oh, Atlanta. I know. I, Most of Atlanta, I, I get what he's saying. Well, hold on. It, it, I think they said it was at the Omni. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be at the Omni. I think that held about four thousand. So you're close. Yeah. You're close. Uh, uh, yeah. Because the Omni's not like a twenty thousand seat place. It, it was just, it was you know. Basically, there were so many. Th these two things completely detracted me from my investment in the actual match. Uh, and but I mean, the, the things that I can remember off the top of my head, Buddy Landell is, he seems to me like he is a classic '80s heel. Um, the things that he does, like just the way he can taunt a crowd and 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 you know make the ref think oh you know he's cheating and, sh and stuff like that that's entertaining but other than that uh the only thing other thing that's memorable about the match is that mike rotunda as opposed to the great american bash two months later he's starting to look a little bit less like mike rotunda and a little bit more like bo dallas in terms of the physique <laughs> Bo leave and bo jangles brother <laughs> He needs to tighten it up a little bit, you know, <laughs> is, uh, is what I'm getting at. But um, that's it for me. This match sucks. I get it, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jason, go for it, sir. <laughs> I became obsessed with the NWA Burger King Ringmaster Poetry Contest. <sighs> oh, yeah. Sidney Anderson. I God dang. Yeah. I paused this and spent two hours trying to find anything on any of these poems, even if they were fake, anyone like making a joke, anything at all. And all I found in the two hours is Miss Cindy Anderson has an IMDb page profile 
where her only listing is, you guessed it, Clash of Champions. <laughs> <laughs> There's no picture. <laughs> and it, it's not to make fun of this. It, it's not at all to make fun of this person. I genuinely want to hear it. Martin wrote a, a really good poem about like journeyman wrestler whose job is to get pinned all the time. So I'd really like to hear the best of the best of, in, of Burger King's choosing for poetry about wrestling. Like, if you think about it, you know, as a wrestling fan, you spent a lot of, like, especially back then, wrestling was just so shit on, right? It was just like, ah, oh, trash, trash. It, even a lot more than it is today. But for a big company, and I'm not making a joke, big company like Burger King to be like, hey, write this poem, we and, and you'll win a great prize. You'll get to be part of Clash of Champions. Awesome. Oh, I, I get to walk out the guy who used to be IRS to the ring and hold his coat? Great. Um, but, I mean, there's nothing. Um, I spent a long, like I said, a long time looking for it. I couldn't find anything. If anyone who's better, maybe some dark web shit, you know, um, we can do it. But to the match itself, I would have loved to see Buddy Landell pick up a gimmick where he has a fake tattoo of a different band every time we see him. Because it just reminded me where Dolph Ziggler came out in that jean jacket with the mega death patch, but it was misspelled because it was the proper spelling of death. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, I was like, oh, man, uh, that would be Poser. great. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it's like he had that tattoo or <clears throat> I'm going to say tattoo with air quotes. Because it looked like when they did that with the marker that someone took the time to trace it in red and go, yeah, let's make it look like you just got this yesterday. Um, because it looked like he just walked out of the fucking chair. Oh, shit, I got to go uh, for his match. Um, but it washes off throughout the match. You see it go away, which is kind of sad, but still funny. Because it goes, I, w- I would love to see something like that in a character development. And Buddy Landell, to me, would be the best person. You're already a ripoff of kind of a Ric Flair so why not just add a little something? But uh, Bob Cottle, and like where you were talking about Jim Ross and Bob Cottle kind of one up it, but talking about Skid Row from Bob Cottle is amazing. His <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and his pitch combined with the shit that he says, where it's just like, you know, and Skid Row's the greatest band in the world, blah, 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 Snake Sabo. And just like, yeah, he did say it like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, 18 in life, woo! <laughs> you know, speaking of being a slave to the grind, if Robert E. Lee would have had the wherewithal to... Uh, I mean, this lady Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh wouldn't even be here because Stonewall Jackson would have burnt that shit to the ground like Sherman did Atlanta, you know what I'm saying? And Jim Ross just goes, that's right, Bob, Burger King. But um, Have it your you know, now, now, here's where we differ. I kind of like this match. Um, I liked it a hell of a lot better than old, you know, Captain Mike Rotunda against the Iron Sheik from last time um, because it had a lot more oomph to it. Uh, Rotunda had some really good punches. Um, I love, like, Landell's just constant cheating is the best, especially when he goes for the leverage pin with his legs on the rope. But he just, like, half-ass puts his one leg all the way up on the top rope. It gives no leverage whatsoever. Looks fantastic. Um, Is Mike Rotunda's finisher a backslide? Because that's what he won with last I, time. I know. So now I have to retract my statement, possibly, that that, that was not the finish. <laughs> because he does it again. And he gets the yeah. win. So. It's like on the Edge and Christian podcast where Christian's got that joke, the Paul Smackage, master of the small package. It's like Mike Rotunda. <laughs> like, just hit Arch Nemesis does the backslide. It's fantastic. Um, I, I mean, 
everything involved. I mean, I generally I, I gave this match a five point five. Way different from Charlie. Five point five. I'm fucking. I'm, I'm laughing my ass off and obsessed with Burger King poetry, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in between you guys slightly. I have it at four. I. This is something really cool that doesn't always happen in wrestling. Is like where they they set something up early in the match and then it winds up working its way into the finish. And it's the hip toss spots. Like Buddy Landell nails a couple hip toss spots like throughout the match and he hits two specifically that he connects on. And then it's that third one that I think like Rotunda ends up using to set up the backslide. And I think it's kind of neat. Like that's a little 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 bit of storytelling that you can do with this type of, you know, sub 6 minute match here. It's 5:39 is what it clocks in at. I think it's kind of neat. I, I you know, it's I remember yeah. I remember one of those hip tosses looked a little dangerous, <laughs> and, and and it reminded me of when Perry Saturn took that hip toss from that one jobber, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Saturn wasn't happy. Uh, he destroyed that man. <laughs> it's, I'll send you the video a little afterward if you've never seen it, but Perry beats the living shit out of this guy for this horrible hip toss. And then throws him out of the ring and he lands on his head. <laughs> and that is why we got Moppy. Uh, yeah, so I, that that spot, I don't know why. Like, I just, I, I thought it was it was pretty cool. You know, like, for, a th- again, a throwaway match. It's second off the top here. It's not, it, this match isn't, or this, the, the winner of this isn't driving towards a TV title, I don't think. But, you know, which, speaking of which, it's weird that we don't get a TV title match again. On this card, and this is on TV, yeah, not even paper, and it's right. the clash of the champions. Some, but um, yeah, like I said, I just leave it at a four. It's it it's nothing spectacular, but I I was good to see Rotunda in a, having at least a looks like a better time than he did against Sheik at not at the at the bash. So we head back to uh, Tony Schiavone, who has the Freebirds with him. Garvin, Jimmy Garvin is at an 11 starting this promo, saying that they're tired of being disrespected. Buddy might be at a 12. Michael... I called him I called him Confederate Nail. <laughs> Confederate! <laughs> he is pumped. He is really, really into this. And, like, I keep waiting for... For Ray Trailer to make an appearance, like in the promo, I'm like, oh man, this is a good. And and, and Michael Hayes really has nowhere to go, but uh, but but keep going up with it if he can. And it's weird. I've never seen a promo go sideways like this. Like, guess what? We're just going to set up a video of us uh, running around Hollywood with our fans. And what it's a bunch like this crap. <laughs> it's this, it's like, this, <laughs> this montage. Like, uh, it felt like a Jay Leno segment. It did. It did. <laughs> and th- these. Uh, like first of all, when they come out there, I always think this is weird. Like, oh, now we're gonna talk to the Freebirds. I'm like, okay, they just lost two matches ago. What's going on? And then they they come on. They put the robes back on. And <laughs> I, I always think that's weird. I'm like, you take the robe off, you never put it back on until the next match. And then it, either Garvin reapplied face paint, like to look like he was about to do another match, or or, or Michael Hayes just never bothered to do so. You know, because it makes it made it look like Garvin did absolutely zero work in that match, and Michael Hayes did all of it because his face paint's almost completely gone. Yep. It was also what was weird was the placing of it. Like, I, I know that you want a hot opener, and so you I wouldn't start with a promo, but it was like, okay, like you, here's two guys that just lost. Here's them talking shit. Like everything you say doesn't matter because you just lost. And then here is this meaningless. Um, I thought for a little bit was fake. 
Hollywood until, you know, they're in front of the Hollywood Hills just pointing at each other ridiculously. Um, I thought that was the same Holiday Inn that we all stayed for for Will's wedding um, when it was coming through. But no, it was point. It, it served nothing because it was still just the two of them. Uh, Buddy Roberts wasn't even in it. In the video. <laughs> He's probably the driver. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Like it honestly just felt like just a, it. It did not feel like it belonged at all. It felt like it was completely different than their promo because their whole promo which i get it is like they're being disrespected and it's almost like they're they're falling behind the times and then it's like okay guess what we're going to show a video of us in hollywood with a bunch of fans okay but but what's weird is part of the free bird gimmick today i think would do great not not all of it obviously but a fake rock and roll band that a group of wrestlers putting out their own music videos and shit on YouTube where it says fake stuff. I think that would be huge. They would be huge independent wrestlers. If you take like it, but it's their, you know, ties to, uh, just, I don't know, culture differences and, and their in ring work, I think would hold them back. But that part I think would be big today. I don't know about y'all. Um, no, no, a three man band is out. about, about is about, I, I think we got yeah. pretty close to it with that. Yeah, because rock, rock music just isn't as big as it was right. back in 1990. So, I, I mean, I'd love to see something like that personally, but I don't know how the, the mainstream uh, audience in wrestling would take it. So, all right. Now we head to the ring for... Uh, all right. I'm glad. I guess I've got this one. This is going to be fun. White Lightning, Tim Horner, and Candyman Brad, Brad Armstrong versus the Master Blasters, uh, Steel and Iron. <laughs> Which, um, well, it's Kevin Nash. (laughs) It is? Well, yeah, it is Kevin Nash. So, a little bit of background, not much here. Brad may have had the most gimmicks of any wrestler during his WCW run, which was one of the longest from a a talent perspective. Uh, Horner is awful here and everywhere. That's the only note on him, which I love. That's Nationwide. Master Blasters would remain tagging till the spring when Nash was repackaged as Oz and then Vinny Vegas and Al Green, which I love that his name is. Is that his name? Yes. Oh, man. Would fade to the the indies like GFW and WXO till his WCW return as the Master Solution in the three-tiered cage match with Z-Gangster. Z-Gangster. Yep, I struggled with the pronunciation there, but Z-Gangster. All right, there we go. <laughs> I was gonna, I was just gonna let you walk yourself out of that. I don't know what else. To, uh, I have no. I have nothing else to say on that one. Uh, so well, what about the writing? Well, no. I that on the background. I mean, I the match is. I, oh. The, I I don't mind Nash's look because he looks. You know, I when I was looking, I was like, man, that's the that's the most jacked he's ever looked. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing in the gut. Like, throughout his diesel run at times, like he kind of he got a little soft in the belly. You know what I mean? A little bit, not terribly, but I don't think the look is awful. <laughs> it's not great by any means. This is obviously not the best place for him, as he will go through many incarnations before he you know finds the right one. The biggest problem I have in this match is why is Horner whipping Nash into the ropes? Like. It doesn't make any sense that this clearly smaller dude is Irish whipping a monster like 
Kevin Nash. I mean, he looks he he. I would have loved to have seen him and Mean Mark in a match. At this point, that would have been great. But I just don't mm-hmm. see I don't see him Irish whipping him. Um, I, there isn't much to this, so I'm just gonna go right to the finish. It's a double shoulder block by the the Master Blasters. <laughs> Such a bum finisher, but whatever. It's we're just under five minutes, four fifty two. Uh, I I gave it a three. I don't think they're they they weren't awful the Master Blasters, but they are so green, you know. In this, oh. I, so. I didn't necessarily think Tim Horner was awful. I, Brad Armstrong's doing what he can. I mean, clearly he's a good worker. He's a really good worker. He's just trying to carry this thing as best he can. But there's just not much to this. Jason, what do you think? Well, uh, the Candyman can, Will. The Candyman can. And Brad Armstrong was one of my favorites uh, growing up here. Right before this match, though, is one of the most WCW things ever. Because remember, this was on broadcast TV, so there's an awful lot of promotion. Um, and there's a little freeze tag up on the screen that says, for a WCW gift catalog, call WCW merchandise. That's what it says. There's not a phone number there. And nothing's edited out because there are other numbers that pop up. But WCW merchandise, if you tried to spell that on your phone, that's a 14-digit phone number. So WCW wants people to yell out their window for someone to bring them a catalog. It's amazing. I was sort of like waiting for the number to come up, listening for an audio. There's nothing because, as I said, it's I was like, well, maybe it's edited on the network. Nope, because there's other phone numbers later. Uh, coming down to this wonderful masterpiece in uh, squash match debuts is just wire, iron, and steel covered in soot. Yeah, they are very dirty. Yeah, I, I mean they like talk about. It. I actually like that. It would have been cool if they had other gear besides just their pants. And speaking of pants, okay, so you're the master blasters, okay? You're iron, you're steel. Great. One of you has blasters on his tights. Do you think the other one would have masters on it? Nope, because iron sucks. Iron sucks a lot. There are two. There are two missed headbutts within 10 seconds. Is is this your war on the periodic table? (laughs) No. no, no. Oh, yes. Take that, iron. Let me tell you something about sodium, brother. (laughs) Everyone knows the greatest of the noble elements is. Why is it N.A.? I don't get it. N.A. is not even it. No, never mind. Um, But it just, he's, God, he's awful. Because I noticed when he goes, when he gets tagged in, which you know you got a guy as impressive and menacing as Kevin Nash looks, and clearly the crowd is enamored with him. I mean, there, there's no, they're just in awe because he's a big ass dude, right? Um, but so here comes Iron, who awkwardly runs for a knee lift. He takes like four steps and then realizes, oh, I got to do it. Um, hits the guy, and I can't remember which one of the poor guys it, it gets to be for. The, the other two between Tim Horner and the Candyman, who's not even the Candyman yet, sucks. Um, but he goes for a diving headbutt, misses him by three feet. The crowd just kind of, this is what's different, is not even, you know, six years later, ECW, you fucked up. And in Asheville, North Carolina, 1990, everyone just kind of goes, ooh, okay, <laughs> you're new. Um, and so he goes for another diving headbutt, but apparently doesn't help. 
Brad Armstrong, who starts to sit. I think it's Brad. It doesn't matter. He starts to sit up, and as he goes for the head, but he just kind of curls to catch him and misses him completely again. Uh, not very good, but Bob Cottle for the save. White Lightning really describes Tim Horner. I mean, I don't mean the kind of the kind of the same of our mountain friends here are so adept at distilling either. His comes from that because he has exceptional speed and quickness in the ring. And Jim Ross just goes, he is very quick. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> like, he just immediately goes, he doesn't just go, like, not like, you know, moonshine. He points out the region for, not like our friends in the mountain there. Just, I was waiting on him to go off on a tangent. You know, one time I was drinking some hoot. <laughs> I like all of our impressions of Bob Cottle. Like they're all pretty good. <laughs> I wish I wish I was there because I'd feel more confident with my body language to really get into it. It's like if Bob Euchre from Major League was calling wrestling is what it kind of becomes. Like how you doing, Wahoo so, fans? <laughs> he misses the headbutt just a bit outside. But I looked up Bob Cottle was a weatherman. <laughs> That's what was great. So it's just like we got a low front coming in, and oh, here comes the stinger. Here's the inside cradle. Ball <laughs> <laughs> smack is master the ball smack. But this match is really bad. Uh, after the the victory that comes after that double <laughs> shoulder tackle, the the crowd does get excited because Kevin Ash gets up and flexes, uh, and so they're like, "Whoa, look at this." What you're talking about where uh, the notes had Brad Armstrong having one of the most gimmicks. Like, Kevin Nash had a lot. A ton, like you just listed. Did you say Al Green? Yeah, that's Iron. Oh, that was Iron. No, oh, no, no. Kevin me. Nash did not play Al Green the singer as a wrestler. No, no, that. That would be great, though. <laughs> Dude, he's super shredder, man. Yeah. Love and happiness. That would have been fantastic. Uh, I give this piece of shit a two. All right, well, uh, I think I know where this is headed. Please, Charlie, go ahead. I loved it. <laughs> Ten. Ten, baby. Give it to if I could. Um, okay, so there's, man, there's a lot of empty seats in this place. <laughs> like, now, like, clashes go ahead. were during the week. Okay, be that as it may, there are <laughs> empty seats on like on the opposite side of the hard cam and like a significant amount like it, it looked like it could have been a block of people that all bought their tickets together like a family and then they all just didn't show up uh, but anytime the camera pans back uh it shows the upper bowl you know like the, the seats you never want and apparently no one else did either because <laughs> there's there might be 14 people up there there might be they all and, got their stuff watching left yeah, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't look too appealing. Um, one of my favorite moments in this match is when because it starts off impressive, like really impressive, and then just careens into utter failure. Is when Kevin Nash picks up uh, Tim Horner in a fireman's carry, like almost like it was nothing. It looked pretty good, and he's like, "Yeah!" As he's like spinning him for a second, and then he just kind of thinks the better of it and just kind of eases him into the turnbuckle and just sits him down. And I'm like, that's it? Like, I thought you were going to do something. I mean, this something. is probably it, one of his first matches. Like, Oh, oh well, well, that's going to go into my next point. Um, 
these guys suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, and I began to notice it about halfway through the match. If the Irish whip hadn't been invented in the early 1900s, um, they would have no offense. <laughs> Almost every single move that the Master Blasters do is based on an Irish whip. They even Irish whip each other. Uh, it's 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 hilarious. And and when I say Irish whip, you know, uh, there are some guys. The, the, it's it's one of those moves that you don't really think about until you see someone do it badly, um, because it's a setup. It's not even really a move. But like, there's got to be a lot of forward motion. Like it, it has to look like you're legitimately throwing this guy into the ropes. This doesn't look like anything. Like they'll he puts him in the ropes, like Nash, for instance. And he just kind of like touches his shoulder, and apparently that one touch is plenty of propulsion just to lead the guy into the ropes, and it looks bad every single time. Um, oh, what else we got here? The, uh, Will, you said it, and I wrote it down too. The Master Blasters, I mean, they're green. They are so green. And if you're gonna be named the Master Blasters, which is yeah, it's a cool name. It comes from I think it's Beyond Thunderdome. I think that's one, you know yeah. one of the many things that. Wrestling stole from the there Mad Max three series. tag teams. There are three tag teams that have borrowed from the the Mad well, Max franchise. The Road George Warriors, Miller's masterpiece. Yeah. So the Road Warriors, the Master Blasters. What's the third one? Demolition. The look. Demolition. Demolition. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like, and and my God, like, there's your comparison right there. The Road Warriors. Demolition. The Master Blasters, like like these 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 guys don't deserve this, and and I don't know who that second guy is. Anytime I see a team like this where I don't know where what where one of these guys looks like, and we'll see it later. There's another tag team where I'm like, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> they all look the same to me. They maximum all look Overdrive like is who you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, we've already seen. Oh, okay. Fine. No, no, wait. You got mentioned. They got mentioned earlier, but <laughs> right. You're like, who are these guys again? And they all kind of look the same. They all look like variations of the second bounty hunter in Suburban Commando. Uh, <laughs> they're like, I know this guy, but I can't place him. You know, they all have that kind of thing going on. The double shoulder block pin. Uh, I want to say that if it's two 300-pound guys doing that that are, like, well above six feet, yeah, that'd probably be enough to take you out. Uh, and, and maybe in, like, 1990, that would have been an impressive finisher. I, I honestly don't know. Like, I'm trying not to shit on this too bad because uh, <laughs> it, it, it was it was kind of – once again, it was Irish whip-based, you know. And <laughs> it just didn't really look all that good. Um, that's That's all I really – have to say from the match. Uh, right now, I want to talk about uh, Brad Armstrong. What the fuck is a Candyman gimmick? What is that? Is it even a gimmick? Because yeah. I'm beginning to. It is like, did he hand out candy or something? Or like, no, he, he had pink. He had kind of pink reddish tights and or briefs, and then under that, he had white and red striped tights like peppermint. Clearly, he was a Candyman. That's it. He didn't That's all like, I remember. He didn't distribute candy or avoid kids <laughs> out to his van or like he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the he was the doink of WCW. You want to come to my van, play some video games, eat some candy? I'm Brad Armstrong. What is WCW's actual concept of a gimmick? <laughs> like, because this is just a costume. Why don't you just have some jackass come out and call him the barbershop singlet or something, and just 
Well, he doesn't sing. He doesn't have other guys with him. He just dresses like he's in a quartet, but he's just one dude. You know, fuck it. The, 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 the barbershop singlet. So is, Kat, is Steele going to put iron through his window and go on to have a much better career? Yes, he will. <laughs> he, he will. Which I should point out, I don't remember Diesel having a gut, but maybe it's because I wasn't looking. But for whatever reason, the name Big Fatty Cool came into my head when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me laugh. <laughs> I just want him to come out as the master blaster. He's just got X-Pac on his back as the little guy. He takes his mask off. X-Pac goes, no, no, he doesn't understand. That would be the best. <laughs> oh, man. This is... Um, What'd you give it? Yeah, this, is a, this is a piece of shit, dude. It's a three. It's a, th- well, it's a three. It's a piece <laughs> Because <laughs> it was entertaining in parts. Yeah. And that shoulder block, I can't make up my mind whether or not I love that or I hate it. I, 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 I really can't. Because if it's two guys that size and they're just ramming themselves into you like that and separating your shoulders possibly, <laughs> like, like it's like that could be cool. I, 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 just, I just don't know. It's awkward as hell looking, though, because WCW rings were so small and Kevin Nash is huge. Like, right. if, if it was a little bit bigger ring where it looked like he could get some momentum, it might look cool. But he's just more, he looks like the old Ram Man figure from E-Man where he, someone just pushed his shoulders down and he jumped. But basically, th- to top it off, I think WCW has a horrible concept of what a gimmick is. I really do. Like, wildfire Tommy Rich. And then, I'm, and you know, because I said it in the last episode, like, well, what makes him wildfire? And then in this episode, I think Jim Ross points out that his punches are really fast and effective, and that's why he's wildfire. I'm like, okay. I have a note about that, actually. Thankfully, um, JD gave, gave just a kind of a one sentence line about that as to why that's his name. We'll get okay. to that. We'll get to that with his Can't match. It's not. It's nothing spectacular. It makes sense once you hear it. But um, <sighs> we shift now. Like, man, I'll tell you. Like, I, I've seen some convoluted crap. We all have. Tony's talks about running the gauntlet with Brian Pillman, Flying Brian. Oh man, this is their King of the Mountain. Match. So I, I I screen grabbed it so I can read it in its entirety Please. so that we can we can dissect this. Running the gauntlet, objective: win three consecutive bouts on three consecutive days: the Friday Power Hour, Saturday WCW, and Sunday Main Event. If successful, you win fifteen thousand dollars. Now if that wrestler loses the bout, the prize money is equally divided between challengers. Now, how the gauntlet is played. A wrestler is selected from eligible candidates who have agreed to compete. The wrestler will draw three names at random on Friday Night Power Hour. Those three names represent his three opponents for the Power Hour and WCW uh, and Main Event. The first bout will take place on the Power Hour, the second on WCW, and the third bout on the main event. A lot of these notes are just very redundant. Like, I mean, I get the point. Oh my God. <laughs> but, I was with you to make sure bit. we clearly understand. So, what did you guys think of the gauntlet? <laughs> uh, the first thing that came to mind was the scene in basketball where they're running <laughs> down the, the tournament works, the 11-month playoff tournament. And <laughs> You know, and then at the end of it, they just go. And if no clear winner, then there will be a two, uh, a three-man, two-legged sack race on Sunday. It's just like, just as convoluted as this. Shit. And I know I just butchered that line, Scotty, but, um, but the the thing is, 
it seems like something that could be cool. It's just they they complicated the fuck out of it. Also, what's the big deal about winning three matches in a row on different days? Now, if it was one night, that would be great. Right. Um, See, yeah, the WWF has already simplified this and made it accessible to a mainstream audience. It's called the King of the Ring. (laughs) It's it's very simple, and it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. What the fuck is this? And how how many people are competing in this? And what if they all... There there were only two. There were only two guys that agreed to do it. They're like, should we split it? Sure. Yeah, and what's great is watch this promo. WCW doesn't have a good grasp of cutting off live interviews because Pillman just looks down and he says, like, man, that was shit. I saw it was really bad there. It's just this look he gets because it's so awkward. Think about this, um, though. Think about this real quick. So suppose, like, I, I would love to be one of the guys that's being wrestled against in the gauntlet because it's like, well, dude, I could just throw, I could just phone it in. But then I can come out there and provide a little bit of interference, you know, for the next guy because I get money. If I get part of the cash here since it's split three ways, if one of the other dudes wins, so really, what are you all, about? Uh-huh. So, I was going to say, why even wait to the next match? All you got to do is have the first guy, uh, first match. You're wrestling Brian Pillman. You have one of the other guys come out, punch you. Pillman loses via DQ. You all, okay. Goddamn non-factor. <laughs> Now is it is it two faces that agreed to do this? It's Pillman and and who's the other one? Uh, do they mention another one? I just hear. I don't think they mention the other one they because say if it's Pillman's heel, the first on it. then that changes everything. Right? Yeah, it does. Like, like, like who gives a shit if it, if it's a heel? Because then the faces got to fight them, and it, and I think you can only win by pinfall or submission. I think that was it. Like like that's was- the only way that. It, they listed more than pinfall or submission, didn't they? Because they said they. I think disqualification was up there because it was counts? in blue. The ways you can win are in blue, with the one screenshot. Did anyone win this fucking thing? We'll, <laughs> you know what? We will wait and see. <laughs> we'll, we'll experience it together. We'll figure it out. I like that only two people agreed to do it because it was like, dude, that's Friday through Sunday. I got to go home and see my kids. Well, <laughs> l- let's talk about this point real quick. People complain nowadays about so much wrestling. That's three nights that's in a, a row. Lot of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. golly. <laughs> On the same network. <laughs> but, I mean, they were. I think they were only... WCW Saturday Night was... Only an hour, right? Yeah, I think it was six I, remember, I, I thought it was two hours, six oh five to eight oh five. If the Braves are on, buddy, well, you, you got to uh, fit in Mama's family somewhere. And, and <laughs> you can't play Andy Griffin. We got to save that for rain delays. But yeah, the, um, the, uh, I don't remember. I just it was a lot. I mean, we we complain. You know, you hear people going, "Yeah, yeah." Well, I mean, it's true. There's a difference where I'm getting at. It's three nights, but it's a lot shorter than one night of three plus hours. And then, Next night, a hard two. And then don't forget to go online and watch all our other shows. Right. We're going to shove But, yeah, this just seemed like a lot. It's a great idea to start a faction or to get someone else to be involved with a feud with the horseman. Because, like, Brian Pillman, I'm going to be the first guy to run the gauntlet. And then the, it's rigged. And the next night, he, draw, he draws Sid Vicious, Barry Windham, and Arn Anderson's name. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been cool. Like, oh, now someone else is finally going to fight the Horsemen besides Sting and Luger and their miscellaneous buddy of the week. Real quick, and, I'll, and uh, I just looked this up. So, Charlie, you nailed it with your joke. It, when baseball season's going on, WCW Saturday night was one hour. Otherwise, oh. two hours. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, because they were the, the station for the Braves. Right, right, yeah. right. So I, I cannot wait until we get some more follow-up on the gauntlet, you know, like as the, as we progress through the rest of 1990 here. Or maybe it'll just be forgotten. <laughs> well, like, All right. In classic WCW fashion, like it never happened. Like, <laughs> uh, like, but like there's a, I mean, I'm serious. There is a, there is a real chance we may never hear of this again. <laughs> and, like they, they could have made this so much easier. You do a battle royal. You have one guy win, and he's the guy who's going to wrestle for the three nights. And it, and you make him a face or somebody that is a face that you want to push to 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 get in the possible mid card to try to get him over. Brian Pillman is a great choice for that. Like they're they've overcomplicated the living hell out of this. And, and the thing that's so frustrating is that half of it is a pretty decent idea because it could get people to tune in. It's like because you want to see a guy, you want you want to root for one guy, and and people are going to tune into that. Granted, it's the weekend and it's WCW, so the numbers probably weren't that good. But still, like there was Jesus. a right way to do this. All right. So here, I, I'm just let's just go Let ahead and answer talk. the question. Let's answer the question right now. So first of all, <laughs> Charlie absolutely nailed it. The gauntlet was format was eventually dropped in 1991. <laughs> it's WCW. What do you expect? Only two wrestlers managed to successfully run the gauntlet. Can you guys even like just do you want to venture a guess? It's probably what one guy that probably went nowhere. <laughs> and uh, I, I I don't know. I, I know there's got to be one guy that went nowhere. Like Jason, like that always happens. Jason, do you have any guesses? Just any guesses for it? Just real quick. Just if you don't, it's okay. Just, <laughs> Brian Billman and Lex Luger. The Steiner brothers, both of them. Oh! <laughs> In singles competition? I guess so. It doesn't elaborate, but it says the Steiner brothers were the only ones to do it. So they got. You see, you got a thirty-three percent. Yeah. <laughs> you got thirty-three percent chance of earning five grand. You come out of the line tomorrow night on March seventeenth, three seventeen, seven oh five. I want to be taking on Brian Pillman and his fat ass. Wait, what? <laughs> I just want Scott Steiner to go to Sesame Street with just all the fucking numbers. With the count? Oh, no. Slow down! One! Oh, pops his head out. Oh, I don't want no part of this. But just, I just want to go back. Charlie, your idea to simplify the gauntlet was to add another match. <laughs> just do one quick battle royal. <laughs> add another match. Battle royal. It takes like 10 minutes. You throw five, 15 jackasses in there. And you, 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 you can just get one guy to win that. And then, then you do the show. You know, not this. We're going to have this guy and this guy. You realize how much time we've spent talking about this <laughs> two-minute segment? <laughs> Best. You make uh, it just one guy. Oh, I make it two. The, the next segment's awesome. This, this is great. It's Missy Hyatt oh, with Ric Flair, oh. who looks so cool. He looks yes, he so cool. And I love his line. You're all the way in, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you look all the way live, man. It's just like sexual harassment pandas crying in the corner. I, I like I, I just what's interesting is how he views the US title. It's just a way to get to the world title. Nothing else. Like I don't care about anything else but the world title. I'm just getting this US title so I'm the number one contender. Isn't it weird? Ric Flair is fighting for the... It's like if Austin was fighting for the Intercontinental title. Or the European like title. Yeah, or the... Very coveted. Very coveted. <laughs> it's just strange. 
So now, Jason, we head to the ring. We've got the Nasty Boys versus Jackie Fulton and Terry Taylor. Um, and it's pretty neat because this is Taylor in between Red Rooster and where he's going to be headed next, which is the York Foundation. That's in the near future. So um, you tell, please tell me the Jim Ross like harassment line is, is, is at the top of your list. Uh, no, I wanted to save that for y'all because uh, it's pretty bad. It's, it is <laughs> awful. Uh, did, did you write it down? Yes, I can't tell if Missy was trying to get into or out of that dress. Oh, oh and then Bob's little ho-ho. Um, <laughs> that doesn't Bob's even make like, sense. Nope. Into nope, that uh, dress? What, what? She's already in the fucking dress. I don't... Right. Sorry, Wait, Holland. Talking about? Shit. <laughs> yeah, is it more like, Sorry, oh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... He was one, like, Jim Ross was, like, one thought away from just being, being that close to Ric Flair's got Missy Watt soaking wet, you know, just like, he might as well just said it. It reminds me of the, uh, have you ever seen that YouTube video where the camera keeps rolling on Jim Ross and he doesn't yes. know it? And he, oh, you have. Oh, yes, Jason I know what you're saying. Yeah, Jim Ross just says some nasty it's shit. It's from this era, too, isn't it? Isn't it from, yes, like, it around is. this it's time? It's okay. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just... Go, good old JR. <laughs> Sausage. And what's cool is here's here's the thing. Like if you cut back to our season one, uh, I can't remember the the poor girl that they started doing getting to do the promos in the back that couldn't for the life of her pronounce the word ambulance. Pam-ble- oh, Pambalance, Pam. Yes, Pambalance. Right. See. So all right. So cut to you go back. Here we are. We're in 1990. Ten years before Pambalance, Missy Hyatt was fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah. she was confident. Yeah. She. She was really good at going like she, she, later when there's a promo for uh, WCW or NWA main event. She goes and and I'm there like and me like she did a really good job of, of building herself up. Um, I went back and looked for some of the uh, WCW NWA hotline commercials and there's one where they list off all the people you could talk to because it was a different day of the week and on Sundays you got to talk to Missy Hyatt. And so everyone else is like straight uh, shooting straight with Sting, laying it out with Lex Luger. Missy does mail. Was <laughs> her, her thing? And in the video promo, she's the only one not talking on a phone. No, they have a clip of her working out doing chest presses. I'm calling her. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call. Listen to her read some mail. Um, <laughs> but it, it's like I like Missy High. I really like. And, oh, and I just, do too, man. Fun. Well, she was fun. Far cry from what we saw when she popped up at the end of ECW there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really sorry. Are you going to fuck him or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's extreme. Yeah, come on. It really was. Uh, but the Nasty Boys versus Terry Taylor and Martin Short dressed up as Jackie Martley, apparently, because that guy's face <laughs> creepy and the way he constantly smiles while doing wrist locks is like dude this guy's unsettling um but we have two plucky baby faces against a giant heel tag team powerhouse clash 12 is getting a little samey um, <laughs> literally that's my <laughs> then just the notes like it's terry taylor he's a good mechanic it's you know it's the nasty boys coming into wcw they were they've already done their little run in wwf haven't they no, they're not in there yet. Oh, this, I are, couldn't remember if they were. Four they or win after. the they win the WWF tag titles at WrestleMania seven. That's in ninety one. So they are close. We get a match okay. with them at Havoc against the Steiners. I think that's really cool. 
yeah. So like that's sort of like here we, these guys like, and it's so weird to see the nasty boys and they look in shape. Like I was a little taken aback. I was like, you know, oh yeah, these aren't the big like slobs that I thought. Um, nasty boys do what they do, do a nasty. They're not fully the nasty boys yet because I don't remember a pit press. Um, any pit of the cool stop. stuff. Yep. Any, I couldn't remember the name of it, but any of that cool stuff. That elbow finish looked nasty, no pun intended there, because uh, he doesn't appear to jump off the ring. He just more kind of lumbers and gets the pin. This match was just what it was. I give it a three. Charlie, are you above or below three? I, I, I am above. I figured. I figured. I was just. I was. I'm above. I was. Um, I was worried. This but. is the best match yet. I think. <laughs> uh, I really. I kind of enjoyed this. Um, and it's really because I, I've. I was always a fan of the Nasty Boys, uh, and but but like you said, Will, they're not. Or sorry, Jason, um, they're not quite the Nasty Boys. They don't have those cool shades, or or the jackets. <laughs> Uh, that the, you know the WWF would make for them, but they're still the Nasty Boys. And Terry Taylor, Jackie Fulton, uh, I I don't I don't know who Jackie Fulton is. I, I'm sorry, but I, of course I know who Terry Taylor is. I do like that Jim Ross constantly this you know makes the the decision to point out that this match is basically gonna live or die on Terry Taylor's athletic ability. Like he's gonna be the game changer. And uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, he doesn't do anything to affect this match, <laughs> like not a thing. Uh, the the like it's a pretty it's a pretty. I don't want to say I hate using the word classic, but it's a classic style of tag match that I thought the other tag matches didn't have. Um, I do agree it's a little samey. It's like how many tag matches are we going to do here tonight? Um, the top rope elbow. It's it was a little scary at first because I was like I don't remember the Nasty Boys going to the top rope and and it's Jerry Sags and he looks like he almost loses his balance and instead of leaning forward it's yeah it didn't seem like he jumped off the top rope it seemed like he just kind of leaned forward and, and 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 that was his counter for it and and he just went completely all in and dropped that elbow and yeah and it looked it looked good uh, coming from him he was able to save that I'd give this a five. Five. That's exactly what I have. I, I really don't have any other notes beyond what you guys have. Um, I do think, like, they're clicking. Like, you can see where the Nasties are on the upward swing. Like, they, it, it's really cool. Like, they have a great, obviously, the next year of their career is probably the, the peak. And it's cool to see them on the upswing here because, like, their style is neat because, a lot of ways, like, they kind of get left behind. I think in terms of tag teams over the years, because they don't do a lot other than just like a couple brawl moves here and there. And but they yeah. can bump. Yeah, they like, can like really bump. Thing, yeah, yeah, totally. That was one thing I always thought they were good at. Yeah. So yeah, I always enjoyed their shirt, and I'm not saying that to be funny. They no, no. have one of the best looking shirts because, and not just it's like that splatter design. It's like, oh look, we've been out. We're street toughs. We've been get, we got spray paint all over us, but the nasty boy part. Look like it was printed so professionally. Yeah, like Skid I mean, Row. It, it looks identical to Skid Row in a lot of ways. The same. It kind of does. It's like the Skid Row <laughs> font. <laughs> and just imagine in an alternate reality where Skid Row, Sebastian Bach is getting inducted into the WCW Hall of Fame this year, and he's going to play Buddy Landell's one one return match for his undefeated WrestleMania streak. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so now we go to um, we go to Tony Schiavone with. I'll tell you, it, it's so heartwarming to see Sid. Anytime he pops up, 
it is heartwarming because he is awesome. I love. I feel Sid. like I'm back home. Yeah. I, you know I, I mean, I love watching. <laughs> that's why my guilty pleasure recently is just I like to go find him wrestling jobbers and destroying them. <laughs> you send me every single one of those videos. <laughs> like I like that one comment in that one video when the guy wouldn't take the power bomb, <laughs> or he thought it was a pile driver, and Sid just uh uh-uh. uh. And, and one of the comments was Sid almost inadvertently created the Styles Clash. <laughs> The one match, it's in this, it, it takes place, the one I sent Charlie, it takes place between this this show and Havoc, because it's it, they talk about him facing Sting for the belt, and he comes out and he delivers, like, within the first two minutes, like, a helicopter powerbomb to a guy, and it's not the finish. It's not the finish. It's not the finish. Guess what the, the real finish is? The actual powerbomb. <laughs> That guy, I bet that was a one and done match for his career. Oh yeah, that guy's out. Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> I couldn't believe it that he didn't cover him after the helicopter power bomb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nope. it, Sid's promo here totally echoes what Jason was talking about. It's him calling out Sting. Uh, he wants Sting, uh, and that's really all I got to say about it because. <laughs> That's really all Sid just keeps reinforcing, but that doesn't it doesn't matter. The promo's a ten out of ten. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> so now we go to the ring for Wild Bill Irwin versus Wildfire Tommy Rich. We got <laughs> the joke God writes it, damn it. The joke writes itself. I don't even need to, I'm not even gonna go any but quickly, Wildfire got the nickname when he was the most over babyface in Georgia from around nineteen eighty to eighty two. It basically whenever Tommy Rich would fire up, like make his comeback, like it would blow crowds up. And that's why it was just kind of became, because his wildfire punches and everything like that, that kind of created the nickname for him. And that's why it just kind of stuck throughout the years, I guess. So it's like hulking up Hulk Hogan? Yeah, it's like Hulk <laughs> Exactly. Right. That, you nailed it. That's it. He's <laughs> All right. All right. That's good enough for me. <laughs> um all I know, all we have here about Irwin is that he was a journeyman from AWA, GWF, WCW, WWF, and everywhere else in between. There you go. Although he has great boots, I'll give him that. I like his boots. All right. <laughs> it's about time someone else gets hung out of the dry. <laughs> <laughs> Who's up first? It's Jay and Charlie. It's you. It's Charlie. I was waiting for you. I was like, he well, just. I'm, I thought waiting it... for my, I'm waiting for my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> no one goes till I crack this whip eight or ten times. I need my Jack entrance video to play that I can't gone. see. <laughs> okay. I, huh. I really, I really, I really hate this. So Jim Ross, he. Uh, it's just like this. It's like this tick that wrestling promotions have anytime we're in a war, where uh, it's the obligatory. We're in a war. We support the troops. Uh, it, lots of and then, and then him and Bob Cottle talk about all the soldiers that they've met. Uh, what it's just like. Oh, come on. I I I mean I get it, but I don't. I I just don't like it. Because uh, it's it's not about the match. I mean, it's like yes. I mean, it should be pretty much understood that we support the troops, and this and that. And I'm sure I'm going to piss people off by saying this. I'm sure, but it, it it's not the match. And 
And all it could make me think of is what would it be like if WCW had a tribute to the Troop Show? <laughs> and it's not it's Charlie. not good. It's Charlie Daniels just playing. Yeah. Oh God, it would be horrible. Yeah, it'd be pretty bad. And you got the wild-eyed Southern boys coming out there, and you're like, oh boy, oh, let's see how this goes over. You know, and uh, it's just I don't know. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. Bob Cottle, I I don't remember what he said. But I just wrote, and it's the perfect word for him. I just wrote, Bob Cottle is a dullard. <laughs> dullard. <laughs> I, a great line. I don't know why that word came to me, but it's something that he said. I was like, that's it. <laughs> he's, like, he's, in, he's in the radar. Um, other, than, other than that, the match is, uh, it's, there's really not a whole lot going on with it. Uh, although I did think it was very interesting that it ends with a Luthez press. And I was like, oh, please call it JR, you know. Luthez press and he actually kind of calls it twice. He's like, he's a Thez press, Luthez press pin. You know, I mean, it's like his favorite move other than the stunner. And it's it's it was kind of strange hearing him call Luthez press and, and not seeing Austin on the screen. Um, but th- that was the highlight for me. This is a three. Okay, Jay, how about you? This whip's gonna get me over. I fucking know it. That guy is. He is all about now. What's weird is earlier, Charlie, you were like, I don't know if WCW knows what a gimmick is. Here's a dude that's a gimmick. I mean, cowboy hat, everything, those nice boots that Will really likes. He's wrestling in jeans. I just said they um, were nice. How many guys? Jesus Christ, I'm not like going out to hot topping and buying them or anything. I just said they were how cool many, looking. How many cowboy gimmicks are there? Oh, that's another thing because there's, it's not even a cowboy gimmick. There, like there's variations of the cowboy gimmick. It's just redneck. It's just redneck. You know, he's just, and we'll, we'll see a doozy of one later, but it's just like, uh, we'll, 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 uh, it's, he's just a cowboy. Oh, fucking but he keeps wrestling in his bandana, which is amazing. And I like how Will immediately was able to kill me saying, you don't have to get hot about it by saying hot topic. Completely stealing the thunder from it with his wordplay. Bravos. Um, what's weird is I liked this match because it was really fast paced. I mean, it's a lot of headlocks and a lot of takedowns and a lot of headlock takedowns, but it's a very fast paced match um, up until suddenly Luthes Press gets the win on Journeyman Wild Bill Irwin. Um, but I still enjoyed it. I gave it a five. <sighs> I'm honestly right there. (laughs) No, I'm honestly right there at a five, to be honest. Because I thought I enjoyed the fact that, like, they really get after it in this thing, man. Like, they really do. Like, I I enjoyed the fact that um, Wildfire fires up. Like, I I like watching him. Because I vaguely remember him. I'm not saying, like, I remember tons about... um, about Wildfire Tommy Rich. I knew he was a former world champion, but it's obviously like one of those like as we heard in the last uh the last show like it's way it's obviously we're far removed from those days. Uh geez, at this point it's like over 10 years, I think, right? It's something like that. Like what they're saying cuz it was 1980. Yeah. So like it's been definitely some time, but even him against this guy, which honestly like uh, this guy gets like a jobber entrance, but he hangs with him for a while. And it's it's pretty good. Like I, his Thez Prez looks really cool, and of course, like I, I was ready for him just to start unloading on him with punches. But you know, whatever, that doesn't happen, of course, because hasn't been invented yet. God dang, non-factor. So, um, but yeah, overall, it 
that was fine. And I think it's still like I was shocked when I looked at the time because I felt like it was longer. But it's only about four minutes. It's really not that long that these guys go. So I give it a five. <laughs> the disapproving. I just. <laughs> where's the Where's the toy at? You didn't bring it. No. The mm. disapproving tanker toy. We're not even in the same studio. No. Studio. <laughs> I, I, um, sir, I, ref, I, I, I don't, I don't take kindly to that. Nah. All right, we're moving on. I'm just kidding. It's other. But we've only got one mic, Will. We've only got one mic. All right, so now we uh, we're headed to. Here we go. Here's some more. I I actually love this. I love that this is a part of wrestling during this time is to have rankings, because it makes like every match mean something. If you, um, you know, if you win or you lose, like it it affects like where your trajectory is headed towards a belt. So they show the top ten for the singles and the tag teams. Sting is the world champion. The number one contender is Lex Luger at the U.S. Heavyweight Title, followed by Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, the Television Champ. Barry Windham, Sid Vicious, Stan the Lariat, Hanson at number six, number seven, Flying Brian, eight, Junkyard Dog, nine, Wildfire Tommy Rich, and ten. Just made it, Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Maybe not after tonight. <laughs> You've gone wild. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, we go to the tag, the tags. I, and I probably should have done it in the reverse order now that I. Went through the first one. But number 10 is Mike Rotunda and Tim Horner. Who knew they were a team? They're I num- don't believe it. <laughs> team. Number yeah. 9, Junkyard Dog and Eligante. I really don't believe it. <laughs> number 8, like- Flying Brian and the Z-Man. What were you going to say? Oh, no, keep going. Uh, number 7, the Samoan SWAT team. Who I want to see. I want to see them on a show. Like, really want to see them get at it. Uh, number six, Fabulous Freebirds. Number five, the Southern Boys. Number four, Midnight Express. Three, the Horsemen. All of them. Just any two of them. <laughs> number two, the Rock and Roll Express. And your number one contenders are the U.S. Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, World Tag Team Champions, Doom. I think it's kind of yeah. cool. Don't you, do you guys like rankings? I think it's cool. I love rankings, but the problem is the rankings the way they're being used don't make sense because the top 10 list for the singles title, because the guy rated number five just challenged the champ and the guy who is fighting the champ isn't even, tonight isn't even on the list. Um, yeah, that's the problem. And then the tag team, just like where Charlie was saying, where you got Mike Rotunda and Tim Horton. So we got the number 10 tag team is a guy who just lost in a singles match and another guy who was in a tag team match with a completely different person. Well, CM Rotunda won see, his match, sir. Well, well see, I'm sorry. Got back. Here's, here's the problem. So, <laughs> this shows you how bad the Master Blasters are. That they were actually in a match just a few minutes ago, and they're not even in the top ten. You know, And they, they have a name like the... First of all, they have a tag team name. Like, if you, mm-hmm. if you go down the list... Once it gets to number eight, I swear to God, they just make it up. Because the first seven teams all have team names. And then it's just singles wrestlers mixed in with each other. Yep. Do you notice that? Like yeah. Hillman, Zink, JYD, Eligante, Rotunda, Tim Horner. And then there's, it's like you, have a, you actually have a team with a team name 
like in WCW, and they just they just won their match. And and not only is the team that lost not in the list, but they're not in it either. And and so wouldn't they? The, wouldn't Rotunda and Tim Horner, for instance, since they weren't on the show, lose a ranking because of that? And that's that's problem A. On top of that, how many tag teams does WCW have? Like, that's a lot of teams. What thirteen? It Just is. From that is a the lot. List of teams. and then the team. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot. It, like WWE, I couldn't even I couldn't even probably name you five or six right now. And it's like, are all these teams getting equal television time? Uh, like, how are these rankings picked from? Like the singles top ten, I actually don't have much of a problem with, other than the fact that it would stand to reason, at least to me, that if the number one contender was the United States champion. I would think that the number two should be the television champion. Right. Like, like that's the only thing that I don't really understand. Um, other, other than that, I, I was like, that top ten is pretty interesting. And and uh, there's a great callback to this top ten list later, which became my favorite thing in the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's but, up next. Actually. Oh, it is yeah, you talk, yeah, because Stan Hansen's promo is amazing in oh, context. Man. It really is. It, yeah. <laughs> and and we'll, we'll get to that. But I just the tag team one, I just don't understand. Uh, like the Steiners being number one, yeah, sure, that's fine. But um, it, I, this, I really thought it was interesting that the first seven teams all have names, and then it's just this guy and this guy, <laughs> this guy and this guy, and it's like we ran. We need to fill. We need to inflate this list. Unfortunately, I mean, Maximum Overdrive didn't crack the list either. Uh, oh yeah, not, for not, teams. Not be, right. See, there's another one. It's like not to be offensive. Well, let's be offensive. Uh, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments, where. There's a few commandments in there that actually kind of sound the same, and you could combine them into one, but it feels like it had to be ten. And it feels like they did the same thing. They're like, the top seven tag teams, but no one's going to believe that. You know, it's got to be the top ten. So, <clears throat> so yeah, let's, let's, let's jump to it. Tony Schiavone then is with Stan Hansen, who is, uh, he says he needs to get motivated to get money, and he wants Sting. He's not happy about being sixth. And tobacco goes everywhere, and Tony Schiavone recoils in horror. I like that he's legitimately shocked that he's number six. Yeah, like he just cannot believe that. Like, like that becomes his motivation. And yes, he looks absolutely disgusting. Like, just, almost just exactly like he did in No Holds Barred. Right. I like that his his nickname is his finisher. So I want to see Roman the Spear Reigns come out at WrestleMania <laughs> versus Hulk leg drop. <laughs> At least you know what to watch out for. <laughs> Al Snowplow. <laughs> Al the Snowplow Snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> death Wish 5, the face of death. How many, <laughs> how many wrestlers, though, his name would be Spear? I mean, Jesus. I know. Spear. It really would be. Spears. Edge, he doesn't have middle name. Right, Edge the Spear. Edge, Edge. that's it. Bill Spear Goldberg. It just seems kind of funny. So, I guess now we go to the ring for... Oh, yeah. This is the win- it's yours. Yeah, yeah. This is the women's world championship as it's billed. Bambi versus the LPWA champion Susan Sexton. <laughs> Who gets booed terribly? Why? Like she she like throws her arms up and smiles like she's a face like and not like in a <laughs> condescending heel way. She actually looks like a nice person. Boo. <laughs> 
So, from the notes here from JD, LPWA was everything Glow was not. It was the real wrestling compared to sports entertainment. Bambi was the main performer for the LPWA during its run. Um, I'm I'm not going to get into all the commentary specifics because I just want to let let you guys kind of tear at this because it's it's awful. Thank you. Um, the commentary, I've just as an overall, this is the worst commentary I've ever heard for a match. <laughs> it is awful. Um, I, I the the first line I will just say that what's Bambi's last name? Deer. Who she is a deer, Jr. That's uh, I can, <laughs> I can legitimately say, I don't get that joke. <laughs> I mean, I know there's the movie, and and Bambi was a deer. But deers don't have last names, or deer, yeah, they don't, they don't have a last name. I, I do. They? It's one, it's it's one of the lamest jokes I have ever heard. It's something that I, a five-year-old would say. In just some broad strokes here, the commentary just seems to struggle to care about this match. They, it almost seems condescending the way they talk. Yes, it does. About like the disappearance of women's wrestling, and and then I, I just wrote, "What the fuck is Bob even talking about?" I really did. Like I was like, I don't even know what he's trying to do. And then what's even worse is uh, Jim Ross talking about Bambi jogging, like. I, oh yeah, that's it, how she keeps her cardio. Terrible. Yeah, they do. They do the aerobics and jog. The um, and the match itself is even worse because it just seems like two people out there just doing a, a workout or a training. Like there's no connection to the audience whatsoever. It is literally just a couple of arm drag takedowns and some some rest spots. Uh, it's a the finish is a cradle reverse cradle reversing cradle. Uh, to give Susan Sexton the win at 411, I gave it a one. It's terrible. <laughs> I gave it a one. I feel bad, but like the commentary is part of the reason it's a one. But also, they don't. I don't think like there's just much to this. Like they don't seem like they're really that. They they don't they don't really care that there's a crowd there. It's, there may not be a crowd there there to them by the way that they're wrestling. Well, if you didn't like it, why are we reviewing it? Now, now hold on. <laughs> <laughs> now hold on. That's, that's yeah, not... we 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 got to give it a ten. Now wait a minute. Yeah, like <laughs> I think we're being too hard on this show. I, well, all right, Jason, what do you think of this one? Oh come on, you're not gonna take the bait. Yeah. <laughs> Segway in it. I've been trying to get him all night. Um, okay. So it's like Jim Ross and Bob Connell. They don't know how to call. Them. Is what it seems like. It's not just they they don't care. It's like they don't know how, because um, it's really awkward for that like Bambi joke for them to try to say they're in great physical condition, you, you know all this weird shit. Neither there's no backstory about either one of them. I mean, when Jim Ross isn't even sitting there making shit up. You know, Bambi was an orphan. One day her mom <laughs> took her for a walk out in the clear. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing. The the most we get is that Susan Sexton is from Australia. That's it. Um, you know, which is weird because he, JR, loves to throw in shit about people to try to make you care about the, the competitors outside of the ring. These women get nothing. Um, and then just like suddenly in the middle of it, I know there's no earpiece, but it's all of a sudden he just starts trying to put over how hard they work. Well, they still work 300 to 320 days a year, you know, like barefoot and pregnant. That's how they should be. It's just how he, he starts going. Coddle just moaned meanders on and on and on um it's like 
in his what I like to think is he's being he's just trying to talk and carry on a conversation and comment at the match. But in his head, he's like full blown Jerry Lawler's id. It's just like the way he's going. He really creeped me out this match for whatever reason. Um, but to talk about the match itself, you know, without the crowd, will I mean you hit it on the head? It is just like a, a workout match. It's like okay. Well, I'm going to put you in this, and then we'll transfer over to this, and we'll just keep building up. We're going to play off the fact we're going to have a really good mat wrestling. I'll sprinkle some of my mid-rope aerial offense in, and then you're going to, I'm, I'm going to try to roll you up, and then you're going to reverse the roll up, and you're still the champ because these people aren't going to give a fuck if a belt changes hands. Um, so why should we? Uh, but you know, uh, I, I gave it a, a two and a half. That high. Okay, Charlie, what you think? Man, I must have been on drugs or something because uh, my rating is is really different. Um, uh, that's really strange. Uh, JR's Bambi joke, yeah, it's terrible. JR makes another comment, and it has something to... I'm trying to remember how he worded it. It had something to do with 14-year-olds. Um, it it might have been that the, the wristwatch thing. Yeah, I again. think that's it. I think... but. Yeah, but it, it tied in somehow with the women's match. Uh, I, I don't remember how, but then I just imagined Jr. at fourteen, and, and and the way he is now, the way he's talking, and I'm like, oh, that, that's probably not a. a he also match. talked about the way he looked at fourteen or something like that. Like he's yeah, like, oh, I could I could pass for fourteen when I was fourteen. Yeah, this is the match where they even just start joking around about the fucking watches. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I think that that's where it came from, and it was just so distracting. Um, the, I was really worried about the crowd, about how they were gonna take this match, you know, like because I mean it can just make you uncomfortable nowadays. So like, back you know back then we didn't think much of it, you know, women wrestling and people hooting and hollering in the ring and stuff, but or sorry in the audience, but you know they they, they seemed to kind of take to it. Nobody was booing or saying that it was bad. Um, they they really, it does it definitely seemed like it didn't fit and it didn't help. The JR was talking about how women's wrestling has just kind of diminished over the last several years, and it's basically a man's sport. He didn't say that, but that's that seemed to be what he was insinuating. Um, and the women, they, I mean, they did the best they could. I always liked that kind of finish when it was done in like male matches, like with a small package and then like a light reversal of it, and then it's a three count. Uh, for whatever reason, I gave this a four. I don't, I don't know why. Guilt. Guilt. I mean, I feel bad. I mean, like, I, I, there's just, I, I just felt like there was nothing there in this thing. There isn't. I mean, I can't, th- I can't remember anything. But I, I, I must have liked something. I, I don't know. Um. All right. So let's see. Missy Hyatt just plugs the main event show, just like Jason you talked about earlier. Uh, then we go back to the ring. It's Hunter and Silencer, a.k.a. Uh, or, or, um, Maximum Overdrive, taking on the Steiner Brothers and I guess a U.S. tag team title match. Um, the one guy, I swear I paused it, and I was like, is that Mike Awesome? Oh, no, no, that's Mike Average, uh, the guy who's uh, Silencer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put it was yeah, Mike. He has that Mike I, Awesome I look. Too. But, nah. No. Now, is this for the U.S. tag title? It's supposed. It? it says. I, I believe they say that. Uh, now, what kind of sense does this make? Where it's for the U.S. tag title, the Steiners are the number one contenders for the world tag title, and they're fighting a team that isn't even in contention. It's BS, Charlie. 
It, it just, it's, it's stupid. There's no continuity. How, how am I supposed to care? How am I even supposed to think that Maximum Overdrive is going to beat the Steiners? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Just... It's stupid. All right. Well, clearly, if you're watching from at home, the fact that Maximum Overdrive don't get a, a pre-rendered screen effect entrance tells you they don't matter. Oh, That's yeah. They really, do, they really don't matter. They, they literally just wear black tight, like just black pants. They could be like... If their hair wasn't the way it was, it could have been just the Master Blasters just after taking a shower. Right. It's another it's another lame tag team with a really cool name. Right. I think, Jason, this one's yours. Yes, it is. Uh, because of, you know, Maximum Overdrive versus the Steiners being... Uh, was talked about earlier. Like, in a way, I would have liked to think that you have your... You know, like top tier number one contender babyface tag teams that are about to take on uh, later on the tag team champions talk smack about, oh, we don't even know who these guys are. And then they come out and beat them. You know, like, oh, whoa, look at this. No, instead, what we get is the white version of Doom, just two generic big bulky guys in black tights for the Steiners to beat up on. The Hunter and the Silencer. I don't know what that has to do with Maximum Overdrive. I would have just named one Emilio and the other one Estevez and called it a day. <laughs> um, but it's like one of the guys, though, it's it's not the one that looks like Mike Awesome. The other guy looks like muscular John Larroquette. Like, it freaked me out for a second. I was like, oh, Dan Fielding's a jacked. Um, but Coddle creeps in. He starts talking about Rick. And Rick on the apron, you know, Rick's like a pit bull. And then pit bulls, pit bulls are deadly. Pit bulls have a 2,000-pound pressure when they bite. This is insanity. I looked it up because I didn't want to, you know, go into a podcast unprepared. Pit bulls, on an average, have a 350-pound bite pressure. Okay, it's only the third highest rank of the dogs that were listed on this website. But to just start spouting, and I know it doesn't matter, it's too, like, just start calling dogs killers. But And here's where I'm getting at. It's the point of this meandering joke. Is this person is a killer, let me compare it to one of our baby faces that's in the ring right now. I don't like baby faces being compared to killers. I don't know. It doesn't work. Um, but to get back to the match here is the big guy for Maximum Overdrive is bad. Um, or he's not that bad as far as what he's doing. He, he looks like he's got some work. He's better. I think he's better than Kevin Nash was in his match. But Rick and Scott beat the shit out of him because that's the one that's Scott just starts manhandling at the very beginning of the match where he just picks the guy up and goes, oh, you're going in a crab. Um, stop trying to fight it. Uh, and just, I don't know, these poor bastards never had a chance, but the crowd loved this match because they thought they were going to get the Frankensteiner. They were up on their feet. They were getting excited. They start getting close when it comes to it. Oh, the match ends with uh, that DDT off the top rope that looked like it broke that dude's neck. Um but for some reason, I still gave this match a five. I don't know. It must have been on the same drugs Charlie was just. All right, Chucky, above or below five? I am right there. Uh, this is pretty fun, and it's simply because of the rally that Rick Steiner does towards the end of the match where he's just Steiner lining the both of them, and it looks so good. And Scott Steiner, I'm assuming he's only wearing the singlet, because uh, to, to match with Rick because Scott looks jacked just as is and I don't remember him looking like that during his uh, earlier days 
So it, it's a very impressive physique. JR decides to uh, anoint a nickname for Theodore Long, calls him Theodore Peanut Head Long. <laughs> I thought that was a little degrading, but you know, it's, it's wrestling. Um, <laughs> I call Jason, I call it the Doomsday DDT. <laughs> That's a good name. It's awesome. <laughs> Because I was like, oh, what are they going for? Like, like, because Rick picks him up, like, on his shoulders and, uh, like, the electric chair. And the the, the crowd kind of comes alive just with that. And I'm like, is there a finisher? I don't remember. And, like, my worst thoughts came to me. Like, he's going to Frankensteiner him off of Rick's shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up, buddy. It's just a clash. <laughs> like, I was like, this that would be the scariest slash coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> If he pulled that off, but no, it's a DDT, and and yeah, and they replayed it, and it looked so dangerous, yeah, to to do a move like that. And I was like, if that better be the finish. So I was like, there's that that would be a finish today. Of course, today I don't think they would even allow a move like that. Uh, I I gave this match a five. I I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm a little bit below. I'm at four. Too much of that the tight pulling thing. The, the, who, whichever dude it is, I don't know. I can't remember if it was Hunter or Silencer doing the Scott pulled my tights. Oh, that yeah. feels like that goes on for two minutes. And this is only a six-minute match. And it's like, Jesus, dude, just please. Like, and then, it's all I got. I, I, it really is. It does feel like, kind of like a phoned-in Steiner's performance because it's like, eh, we're not going to give you the tilt-a-roll. We're not going to give you... Uh, we'll give you a couple Steiner lines and then, the, the like you said, the Doomsday DDT. But yeah, no Frankensteiner here. It's only a clash, folks. Uh, nah. not, but it's fine. It, I I think at a, a four is reasonable for this. I mean, this is this is basically a squash is, is all they're doing here. So um, it's fine. I mean... I, who do you get? Do you guys like Maximum Overdrive more than the Master Blasters, or what do you think? I've already forgotten them. <laughs> <laughs> I really have. I'm trying to think of them, and all I can think of is the Master Blasters. All right. So okay, we're moving on then. <laughs> that bit died on impact. <laughs> that was the bit. That's okay. I don't remember. I right. don't like remember them. That's all Charlie right. goes, that's the bit. He just kills it. Your but, bit is now my bit. But it's, it's okay. Char- Charlie gets probably the most entertaining match on the card. I really uh, believe it in my heart. It's Stan, oh, mine? the Lariat Hansen versus the Z-Man, Tom Zink. Yeah. Oh, real quick, though. Let, let me, uh, I, I forgot here. This was during one of Hansen's short runs in the U.S. He would go on to beat Luger for the U.S. title soon and then joke about never returning to the U.S. to drop it. He, of course, did drop the belt. This match was supposed to be Paul Orndorff versus Zink. It was during a time when Ole Anderson was very high on Zink. Zink was supposed to go over on Orndorff in the match, but Paul was not okay with that and quit the promotion on the spot. <laughs> That'll learn you. <laughs> I just I like the sentence. Ole Anderson was high on zinc. My one a day. Give me my one a day. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. Uh, so Tom Zink does that thing again, <laughs> which, which you know, if, if you didn't draw so much attention to it to me I might not have really noticed it but now it's really all I see like you ready baby yeah. and it, it makes me think it's like I feel like it, it comes across that WCW was a non-televised promotion until about a week ago 
you know, and it's, it's filled with wrestlers that have never been on TV before. And, and not to put Tom Zink down, because I like that guy. Yeah. But it's just so funny that he stands there and waits looking at the cameraman. And then the, when the, <laughs> I'm assuming the cameraman's just pointing at him like he's ready. And he's like, okay, let's go. And, and, and the cameraman just kind of follows him from behind. And, and we get to look at the, the physique in the back of Tom Zink. And it's just funny. Because he's fighting a guy who's the exact opposite of whatever Tom Zink is. And that's the, the just utter, utterly filthy Stan Larry Hansen. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> like, this is just one nasty motherfucker. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Uh, the best part of the match is within about the first minute. Stan Hansen throws Tom Zink outside the ring. And JR says, that, oh, now Zink's out in, uh, he says, now, now Zink's out in Stan Hansen's pasture. And immediately in my head, I had Stan Hansen's voice yell at me. And it was, it was that's my pasture. <laughs> rolling, 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 rolling. I couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, 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 what a great alternative to that's my yard. It was like, that's my pasture. Yeah, it's just, that's a lot bigger than a yard. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, unfortunately, the match gets shit on <laughs> like by WCW themselves because you, you can always tell when the match isn't really important when they decide to throw in an interview <laughs> while that match is going on and it's Tony Schiavone with Lex Luger in the in the top right hand corner <laughs> and uh, and Luger's you know talking about whatever but it's like all right I guess uh, I guess I'm not supposed to care about this one. Um, <laughs> Uh, Stan Hansen, you know, if your nick, it has to be said, if your nickname is the Lariat, and I've been talking about this since the uh, the first season, um, it, it better be the nastiest looking fucking clothesline I've ever seen in my life, and this is more of a, uh, I won't want to call it a, a light brush, <laughs> because Stan Hansen, everything he does just looks nasty, and and like from moves to the way that he looks, and then this clothesline is just kind of. Eh. Yeah, just there you go. And, and I was like, is, is, oh, that's why he's called the Larry, because that's what he wins with. And I, I was just kind of underwhelmed by the look of it. I mean, he did kind of clothesline him in the head, it looked like. But Tom Zink, the way he took it, it just didn't didn't look right to me. Uh, the the match is I'm sorry. It's just not it's not good. It was fun, but it's not good. I give it a three. Jason, where are you at on it? Well, welcome to Clash of the Squash Matches. Uh, too many of these in a row. But I do... I, I like this match because Stan Hansen, like you, he's gross. Right? He's not doing like this, yee-haw, I'm a cowboy gimmick. He's like, I'm just this dirty, gross motherfucker. And Charlie, thanks to your It's My Pasture comment, now I just want Booger Red versus Stan Hansen in the last Red Man on Earth match. That just sounds <laughs> fucking brutal. Brutal little thing. Who needs a final deletion when you just have Booger Red versus Stan Hansen go at it in a gas station truck stop? Oh. Um, clean up on aisle seven. Uh, but what's funny is this match, like you said, they, they bring up this, oh, well, what's Lex Luger? He's... He's calling out Sting, but Lex Luger is the U.S. champ. Everybody's got to go to him. First of all, kudos to Lex Luger and Tony Schiavone on knowing how to stand in front of a TV and watch it. Um, but it is like a <laughs> nine-inch black-and-white monitor. So, I mean, are they watching it on cable? Are they watching a feed? 
and Lex Luger couldn't be less interested. <laughs> like it's like you said, it's like they just told him in a second ago. Uh, Stan Hansen just called you out. What you gonna say about it? I'm not worried about Stan Hansen right now. <laughs> I've got to deal with Ric Flair, which, to be honest, is a fair answer. Um, but the match, what I don't get is this WCW slash NWA in the 90s where over-the-top rope is a disqualification, but Stan Hansen hits Tom Zink with a chair right in front of the referee after the bell rings, so technically the match has started, and it keeps going. I don't, I, I don't get that. Um, but, hey, you know, whatever. Uh, I gave it a four. I was starting to get really bored with the show as a whole, but hopefully this next little bit will uh, really bring it back in. I uh, I really enjoyed this. I gave it a five. It's only three minutes. It's, it's just barely over three minutes. I I love. I feel so bad for Zinc because he just had Vader in the last show, and now he gets to poor guy. I mean, and I mean it he is Potato City. I mean he is just getting walloped by Stan Hansen, who I've always heard is blind and uh, like like practically blind. So when he throws out Larry, you never know what's going to happen. Like he he can't see very well at all. Like I mean, can obviously he's not like it's not like Stevie Wonder over here, but like when he, he's he does not have great vision. So like when he if you watch the compilation video of lariats, like they really do range from pedestrian to just ungodly <laughs> at times. And this just happened to be on the on the former end spectrum of the spectrum. But uh, yeah, I mean. Um, if you're the if the goal of the match is to build up a guy who's going to come after Luger and then maybe Sting, I guess at some point in the future, then it succeeds in that. I uh, I um I'm with Jason though about the like it takes him all of ten seconds. He's a chair shot, bam. Don't even care. I don't even care. I'm daring you to DQ me. <laughs> Which I was a Paul Orndorff fan. <laughs> But uh, what I do like is that I totally buy that this guy is a major threat to Lex Luger if he gets out of this match with Ric Flair. So I really enjoy that part of it. So um, building on the Tony Schiavone Luger stuff, like now Tony takes us to this footage of Luger versus Flair from Wrestle War. Luger then steps in, and I think this promo is pretty solid. Like uh, Lex Luger's not the most charismatic guy in the world on the mic, but I think this promo is pretty good. And explaining like where his mindset is and everything, and how he's now the hunted, taking on the hunter and Ric Flair in this case. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So that leads us into our next match. It's for the United States Championship. It's Lex Luger and Ric Flair. So um, Luger versus Flair is only is notable because this was really the last of the great matches that they would have, and kind of the last of this type of Flair that we would see. He would not be around much longer. In 1990, was really the end of the 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 great Ric Flair slash NWA style of, of wrestling, and that's something I, I didn't think about when we started. It's like you know what, we're only going to be getting just a little bit of Flair here in the beginning, and then it's gonna it's gonna you know cut off for a little bit, obviously because he's going to go into the WWF and you know be a force there for a little bit. But uh, I was looking forward to this because. Uh, Flair versus Luger is one of those kind of like it's not talked about like Flair versus Sting, but God dang, these guys rip it off here. They really go for it. It's a it, with all those short matches, we finally get like a fifteen a fifteen minute match here, and it's great how it's broken up. Like Flair like really shines up Luger good in the beginning with like, I I mean we we joked about the Irish whip offense of the the Master Blasters. Lex Luger's offense predominantly comes off Irish whips in this between like eighty gorilla presses and a power slam. 
and 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 then maybe like a clothesline or two, but he looks so dominant in the beginning, and then just the way Flair does the one cheap move to get the offense, but then he becomes really aggressive, with just destroying him on the outside. Like it's cool to see a really aggressive Ric Flair taking on Luger here, and then it just the way like it, it's when it's moving into that that third act. Like what's great is Luger's a guy who despite like a lot of shortcomings in terms of offense, his look is immaculate. But he also has incredible babyface pops and he fires up so well. Like that we we joke about that taunt where he's like, oh you either between the you want another or that flex that he does, it it brings the crowd to its feet. Not too disappointed with the finish because I, I was as it was going on, I was like, how's this gonna go? Because I don't see Flair getting racked. And I, obviously, I don't see Luger losing this belt to Flair because I was like, I, I don't, I just don't see that. I don't see them going right back to Flair Sting or whatnot. So Stan Hansen coming in there and clobbering Luger to give him the DQ win wasn't too bad to me. So I, I, I think this match is really, really good. Um, I may be overrating this, but I'm going to give it an eight because I think it's really good. Jason, what'd you think? I was just waiting on Charlie to have a stroke about her, her eight rating, but I understand. Um, Flair cuts a hell of a promo right before the match starts in the ring where the camera's on their face. Like, he just lays it right out. It's like you said earlier, Flair's the U.S. Like, it's the way he says the U.S. title is nothing but a stepping stone. He doesn't say those words, but he just tells Luger, I got to cut you down to get back what's mine. I like that a lot. Um, Flair... And Luger matches are very, very similar to Flair Sting matches. There's a little more of the power because Luger is not as athletic as Sting uh, by any means, but they're they're very similar. You can almost copy and paste about a half of them, but there's not a problem with that. Jim Ross goes into full-on, let's talk about them outside the ring mode, says Flair had a 3.78 GPA. That really conflicts with that 30 for 30 that we had uh, a couple months ago. So I had more Jim Ross just talking out of his ass. Bob Cottle then tries to appropriate Ric Flair's plane crash. Because they harp on how if Ric Flair has a weak point, because they, they go back to the clip they just showed from Wrestle War, where he and Funk are talking about Ric Flair's back, and he goes, if Ric Flair has a weakness, this is back. All from that plane crash nearly took him out. Blah, 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 blah. Bob Collar just goes, that was indeed a dark day. I'll, I'll <laughs> never forget that day. Like, were you there? Were you on the fucking plane? I mean, it's, he can't even just be like, yeah, what a tremendous feat it was to come back from something like that. He couldn't even say, we talk about how Sting worked hard to come back from that knee. This man walked away from a plane crash. No, I, was, I remember it. I was there when the big bopper died. You know, just like shit like that. <laughs> I can't stand it. Um, Flair sells his interrupted taunt where he thinks he, like, top rope racks Luger and then goes over to do his pose in front of the camera, which is bad direction because the camera should have cut to that camera um, so you can see it and then see Luger coming up from behind Flair. No, we still stay on the hard cam. Um, but he sells being interrupted in a pose just like he sells already being up in a gorilla press. <laughs> no, no, he just starts like, <laughs> you know. Um, but so the Luger picks Flair up and then Jim Ross starts talking about still harping on this wreck. You go, oh, well, 
Flair back when he first started before his wreck. Or before his wreck. <laughs> before his wreck. Bottle's <laughs> <laughs> trying to appropriate it. I'm trying to downplay it, apparently. But uh, he starts talking about it. He goes, Flair changed his style. He, he, he's a lighter man. Flair's at 265 now. He's 25 pounds or he's 25 pounds heavier. So he tries to say that Ric Flair is 290 fucking pounds. I think he just misspoke, but I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, was... Jesus. And then we get that real weird break of kayfabe in 1990. Flair's got Luger in the rope, open the corner. Turner heard, this is for you. And hits Luger with a nasty sounding chop. Like, it sounds like one of those, like, hey, you know, I'm sorry, you got to take this because I got to make a point. Um, but, man, it it just seemed like, yeah, because that was the reason is, is Jim Hurd was, like, pushing him out, right? Or, or whatever they go, because I, I, I'm trying to do it to be a conversationalist. I don't want to sound like someone who just sits and researches everything and goes, well, here's he my... The guy, he was the yeah. guy who pitched the Spartacus gimmick, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, like he so, all. Then if that's the case, and yeah, that's who Ric Flair had serious problems with. Yeah, so this is like what Will said. I was sitting there thinking, man, is Flair gonna get in the rack? Especially the way they kept talking about his bad back. That would be a great announcer way to build up. This is why Flair, who's a great champion and a great person, is gonna tap out to this move because of it, it hurts his back and he was in a plane crash. For God's sakes, I mean, it traumatized Bob Cottle. But you know. <laughs> It's just the the way they do it. But then here comes Stan Hansen with a run-in. And I've noticed we haven't really seen run-ins no. in the episodes we've done. There was an attempted run-in, but thank God the dudes with attitude were there for that one week um, and stopped that from happening. But I'm with Will. I don't quite give it as high, but I give it a six and a half. All right, Charlie. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll just... R- r- right off the bat it's it's the best match on the card by far uh i do agree with jason because i thought the same thing there's really not a lot of difference between this match and the sting match or or what a sting match usually is with rick flair um like literally just seems to be more power moves i did like i know he does a lot of gorilla presses to rick flair but i like it because that's mixed in with the commentary about the plane crash and, you know, it's it's it could just be Lex Luger just trying to work on his back, which if you think about it, it's kind of a dick move. Uh, <laughs> when you got a guy who survived a plane crash and you, and that's the guy you're fighting, you're like, well, I, I got to work on the back. You know, that's uh, that's got to be the weakness. Uh, Jr. I've never, I don't think there's ever been a comment that's more wrong about Lex Luger. Jr. says Luger is a thinking man's wrestler. <laughs> and then. Later in the match, Lex Luger knocks down Ric Flair right next to the ropes, covers him, and hooks the inside leg. And Ric Flair gets his outside leg on the rope. So much for the thinking man's wrestler. Uh, <laughs> because as a thinking man's fan, that should never have happened. Um, there are quite a bit of chops Charlie? Jason? It's like that one second delay of okay. your toe, and, and you're like, oh, the pain. 
I'll be here in just a second, and then it comes. It seems like Flair chops him sometimes, and Luger's about to like no sell it, and then oh god, that really that really fucked me up. Oh oh god, and it it, it kind of makes Luger look awkward. But Luger, I think, looks damn near in top form in this match, and it's because of Ric Flair. Luger looks amazing um, when he's on offense on Ric Flair, and and it's 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 really a lot of fun to watch because as a kid I loved Lex Luger, so. And yeah, like you said, like we do make fun of the, like some of his taunts, but yeah, I used to get pumped up with, with stuff like that when it came to Luger and, and the crowd is totally into this match, probably more so than any other match on the card. Like, like they're, they're pretty hot for it. And I would rate this match higher. And this is where the run-in thing comes in. Cause I do like run-ins when they're necessary. And I guess it is necessary here because it's not like Ric Flair is going to win the U.S. title, at least not right now. It just doesn't seem right. So Luger should have a feud going into Havoc. I just wish it wasn't with Stan Hansen. (laughs) It just seems weird that Stan Hansen's interfering with a match with Lex Luger and Ric Flair. And and I guess it's the only way it could have ended, although I I think the match is too good to have a run in. It's that weird place where maybe if the match was just subpar, the run in would be easier to digest. But and, and plus, we're looking at this differently than people that were watching it at the time where, the, you know, this was pr- pretty exciting, I imagine, uh, with Stan Hansen. But it just doesn't have the same effect on me. Uh, I give it a six. Awesome. So <laughs> that then takes us to. Um, all right, we're headed towards our main event here, and it, it's wild when you come off because it, regardless of, of how we rate it, it is the best match on the card, hands down. It's not even close, not even close. Even this next match, it's it's still not even close. And you you, you kind of wish like you'd end on a, on a on a note like that, but you know, here we go with this. I, I am interested to see how we all view this this whole Black Scorpion thing because I've heard about it throughout the years. I've seen bits of it through some of the the pay-per-views that I've seen of WCW from this time. I've never really fully gone through the whole storyline. So here we go. So beforehand, of course, we do get a couple of promos from both Black Scorpion and Sting. And what I love about Sting in these promos is that he's not like he's not doing typical Sting, you know, where he does the yell or he's getting like all pumped up or whatever. He's concerned, like legitimately like it's messing with him who this is. And, and why he's coming after him, and things of that nature. So, here's some of the background of this Black Scorpion thing. And around August of 1990 is where the Black Scorpion debuted. He wore a hooded robe to conceal his face and warned Sting he was after him. The wrestler playing this part was actually Ole Anderson with his voice distorted. The announcers attempted to imply that the Scorpion was a former friend of Sting, with the main suspects being former tag partner Jim Helwig, a.k.a. the Ultimate Warrior, who was the WWF champion at the time, or former wrestling and power team USA partner Dave Sheldon, a.k.a. the Angel of Death. The Black... <laughs> Dave Sheldon, Angel of Death. How the hell are you? <laughs> the Black Scorpion at Clash 12 was Al Perez, who according to... <laughs> There's no way it's him. 
<laughs> who, according to Ric Flair, was supposed to remain the Black Scorpion until his unmasking. That is, before he quit. Sting wrestled Black Scorpion at house shows, but could never unmask him. The performers Sting faced at these shows were either Jeff Ellis or the Angel of Death. Dave, Dave Sheldon. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> the Black Scorpion. Does it right on my card? Angel of Death. How you doing? This angle actually gets cut short by an accident to the Angel of Death, though. Um, JD saying he's not sure they ever Did he really. Kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh oh. <laughs> Though he, he's not sure that they ever really had a plan or how they were going to end this storyline. Um, they knew even before Angel was injured that he was not much of a name wrestling, mostly in Texas, before and after this run. I'm going to stop there. I have the rest of the storyline written there. I'm going to stop there because obviously we still have more to this. But it's just to kind of show you that they had a vague idea of what they wanted to do. And it sounds like they really wanted to get the Ultimate Warrior to, to come over, which when you think about it would have been awesome if that was like the reveal. Although, like, if you had seen the Ultimate Warrior in that mask, you would have known it's the Ultimate Warrior probably by the way he was built. His physique. Yeah. And, yeah. and his hair, if they didn't have him cut it, would probably also have lent towards it as well. Then again, I mean, a lot of guys had long hair, but I'm just saying. But nevertheless, here we go with this. So, um, Jason, you get Sting in the main event. So this is, uh, this is Sting versus the Black Scorpion with the world title on the line. Yes, because top ten lists matter. So you can just show up and uh, challenge him, and you get a shot at the next big TV event. Um, I know it was cool to see Sting being different than normal Sting in this interview, but it's also hard to tell if he's ready to get the mystery over with or if he's ready to just get the story over with. Because it's such a rushed, oh, I'm just going to walk right out as I'm finishing my ending line. So I, I didn't necessarily like that. Um Bob Collin and Jim Ross keep telling us we don't know anything about the Black Scorpion except where he's from and what year he knew Sting in. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty good. like a naked gun movie plot right there. I couldn't find out where he was. I only knew his last name, address, mother's maiden name, and seven of his social. You know, like, I just, you know, but we go, um... The Black Scorpion, obviously right here, isn't Ric Flair. Um, you could tell that from his physique and, and just a couple other things. Um, it's not that bad of a match for it to be like, who is this guy? You know, you can clearly tell that uh, this was somebody that had wrestled before. They didn't just grab a Kevin Nash and have him come out. Um, but eh, still, like even though it... It's hard to look at. It's like, this is Sting in the main event. This is the stuff that would just drive me crazy. Um, but this was October during the week, so I didn't see this live when it happened. You know, school nights. Um, watched it on tape. But here it is, the whole thing. If you beat me, you get to unmask me. And so here's Sting, this man who is super determined to get this mystery over with and, and find out who from his past is tormenting him from California in 1986. My God, who could it be? Um rips off the Black Scorpion's mask, and by God, the Black Scorpion is really the Red Scorpion. Why does Sting stop? There's one mask there. Take the other mask off. Like, that doesn't seem like you're obsessed with finding the truth. It's just like, oh, ho, ho, I've seen this Scooby-Doo. I know how it ends. Um, 
and then here comes another black scorpion standing on the ring, pointing. And which Jim Ross later goes, well, obviously that's the real black scorpion. How do we know? I I know I like to overcomplicate story plots in my head. I think Sting versus the Black Scorpion would have been such a cool story if the Black Scorpion wasn't a person, but like Batman with the Cult of Owls, or Court of Owls, excuse me. It's a lot of people. It's just really everybody after Sting because he's the champ. Um, but the match itself, I give it a four. Cause I didn't, didn't really enjoy it. The crowd was like, yay, Sting's here, Sting won. Oh, we're not getting anything. You could hear the crowd's disappointment, too. Um, but I guess we'll save the closing of the show for a different segment. All right, Charlie, what you think? I, well, <clears throat> I do agree with Jason. I, I, it should have been a non-title match. <laughs> I, I, I hate constantly going back to it, but, yeah, like we don't even know who this guy is. We don't even have a clue. World title. World title match. Yeah, fuck it. Um, makes you wonder how official the rankings really are. The match, I mean, I, I, I remember spending some of the time, because I didn't want to look it up, because I didn't remember, like, who the guy was that was in the ring, even though that wasn't really the Black Scorpion, but I was, like, looking at his physique. I'm like, sometimes I can tell by the physique. And, you know, I didn't recognize him at all. His wrestling was pretty basic. Um, I think I think a little bit more time should have been spent, actually, on convoluting ways of, of trying to get the mask off. Because Sting was doing his typical offense, I thought, for the most part. Um, winning the match with a stinger splash. I mean, okay. I, I guess this guy isn't really a threat. Uh, I, I'm not sure if any of the guys in the top ten would lose to a stinger splash, and that it. Uh, I'm just not used to seeing that. So, you know, and then the way the match ended, and I mean, it was a pretty cool cliffhanger. Actually, I I, I kind of liked it, and I, I imagine as a kid, I would have just been, you know, just infuriated, wanted to know who the guy was. But um, the, the match itself, I give it a three. Um, I I dug this though. I really liked the um, the intensity around it. I liked that it was a brawl. That Sting doesn't really wrestle this guy. It's completely the opposite of the Flair match in a lot of ways. I like that he just goes after him, and this guy fires back. Like usually, like when I think about this storyline, like in my head, I was like, oh, you know, uh, besides what it ends up being at the end, I was like. That was a pretty crappy wrestling match overall. I was like, that's eh, all right. Um, I think it holds the attention pretty well. Um, it is, of course, it, I don't know, the whole thing with it being um, another dude on the ramp that's the real Black Scorpion or whatnot. Like, eh, I mean, it's it, it's still the, I don't I can't say, is this really the beginning of the angle? Because it says it's been around since August of 90, but I guess we're still kind of in the beginning stages of it because it doesn't wrap up until the end of the year. So we still got a ways to go with this thing, still kind of being lingering for for staying. But I didn't mention this earlier in the Steiners match because we had mentioned that there was no Frankensteiner. I kind of like seeing matches where guys win without their finish. Because then, like it keep makes it creates kind of an unpredictability about the match, which is cool. Because nowadays, if we see if we see Randy Orton do that awesome power slam, he will not win the match with that. Nor will he win it with that DDT he does from the rope. No matter how many times he covers a guy, he's never going to win with that. Sure, it's just I, I don't I can't recall another time where I've seen Sting go for a cover after the Stinger splash. You will see one very soon. I've, I'm just mm-hmm. letting you know very, very mm-hmm. soon you will see it. Because I remember one distinctly that work gets coming up it, it, right around in the next few months or so. 
But it was, I, again, like, I thought, I thought it was kind of neat that he didn't tap him out. Uh, but at the same time, like, maybe he should have. Maybe he would have had him down longer to get all the masks off. All of them. But I don't know. Um, I ended up giving this, I think, uh, yeah, I gave this a six. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I was a big fan of this. Oh, you can do that. You go ahead and do that. All right? <laughs> it's fine. I don't care. I, I, I enjoy seeing Sting come out in this type of match because he doesn't, like, I, I think Borden does. The <laughs> Borden. Borden oh, does God. it. I think Borden does a great job of selling, like, just kind of the psych, the psychology of this. Now, granted, Jason, you're right. You know, if in, in a perfect world circumstance, he would just would have been ripping that guy's face off from from Jump Street. You know, he wouldn't hesitate mm-hmm. after he ripped one mask off. But it's it's wrestling. It's a dramatic arc. Okay, fine. I'll I'll, I'll forgive it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll I'll look past it a little bit. But uh, I, I, Charlie, you're 100 percent right. It probably should not have been a title match. <laughs> Oh, you imagine if this guy had won it and he's not even the real Black Scorpion? <laughs> yeah, it would have made WCW look pretty bad. <laughs> oh, like, what was the plan? What was the plan if he had won the match and won the title? Would the real Black Scorpion still have come out and looked at Sting like, fuck, I ruined it. <laughs> now, my title. now I gotta beat the other Black Scorpion. It's right. Black Scorpion Negro versus Black Scorpion <laughs> but, like, yeah, It's a convoluted yeah. plan. So let's jump to the next... Who walks out next, though? Like, Sting's got enough on his mind with the Black Scorpion. Here comes Sid. Wonderful. (laughs) Now we're talking. Just when I think I've checked out, I'm right back in. Yeah, I mean, pretty much reiterates his point from earlier. Um, Yeah, just physically. Yeah. (laughs) I really thought he was going to powerbomb him on the ramp. (laughs) I did, too. I did, too, man. I was like, oh, here it comes. Oh, no. I I mean, what... what I love is that, like, it, it's just constantly Sting is being challenged. Like, there, mm-hmm. no matter what, like, it's not even just one dude coming at him at a time. It's, and, and I, I can't really say that, like, in pro wrestling over the years in WWF, did you really have this many guys coming after the champ? And that's awesome. It really makes it feel like, you know, it's, it's a burden to be the champ. That you have this many guys coming after you at one time. Now, granted... One's like you know Black Scorpion Junior, but who cares? You know, like whatever. It's still like I, I, I it's not. It, it's, it's interesting. I think it's a very interesting way to build your world champion as a guy who's, man, he just went through this war to get it from Ric Flair, and it's really just beginning. And now he's got to re- probably wrestle Sid. They don't, they don't one hundred percent say it, but it, it is the main event of Halloween Havoc ninety is him against Sid, which is awesome to think about. That Sting's got to wrestle this guy who's just a monster. And the thing I left out, and Charlie, you saw it in that video I sent you. The pops for Sid are huge. They're oh, huge. Yeah. So it really lends towards, you know, it being a hell of a, a main event when it comes on being Sid versus uh, the Stinger. So, uh, Charlie, while you're doing your thing, you may be already done with it, but nevertheless, I'm just going to go ahead and get. Uh, Two awesome comments from I because I, I go to cagematch.net. I love to look at it. Which by the way, Meltzer gave Luger Flair three and three quarter. He was a big fan of that match. Um there are two comments on here. I just want to read them. They're great. One person writes, Ah, the infamous Black Scorpion story. WWF had the Undertaker, WCW had the Black Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> 
The guy gets unmasked, but it has another mask. To add more injuries to us viewers, there is another black scorpion on the ramp, and he's the real one. The mystery, which is M-I-S-T-E-R-Y, I love it, seems taken out of a soap opera. It's terrible. Sid Vicious chooses the worst time to cut a promo. He puts this in parentheses. I did understand. I did understood only a couple of words. The rest of the card... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you? The rest of the card isn't much better. Luger versus Sting. <laughs> what? Luger versus Sting. <laughs> is very enjoyable. Other matches can be skipped. <laughs> Rick Flair's thing. Same thing. Yeah. That person gave the show a four. This next person gave it a two. He's like, this was a bad clash, with few exceptions. It was trash from top. Sting versus, wait for it, <laughs> the Black Scorpion. To bottom, the racist Southern Boys versus the racist Fabulous Freebirds. Yay, I guess. You can do better as far as clashes are concerned. He so gave basically, it... trash of the champions. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> gave it a two. So, Charlie, how did we rate two. it? Two. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Will, you have it rated at the highest. You have this at a 4.6. And Jason, you're in the middle at a 4.15, and then here I come at a 3.8. So we gave the show a 4.18. Which, cage match 3.43. So not too far off. Um, I Despite the rating, I still think this was a very enjoyable show. I had a hell of a time watching. I really enjoyed it. Um, again, like I know the ratings don't necessarily reflect it overall, but I had a really good time watching it. I can tell you guys did as well. <laughs> we gave it away. Oh, you you understood, Stan? You went, you get it. <laughs> oh, it was, it was neat to see. First of all, how we talked about they crammed ten matches into what's only two hours or less than two hours, but it's ten matches and several promo segments. Into this, it is just bam, 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 bam. Like remember the early ECW stuff where it was just like bam, bam. There was no breather. Thank God they had the commercial breaks uh, placed in here. I mean, they with everything. With that really out. cool music. Yeah, I miss yes. music like that. Yeah, and there's really bad CGI mountains with trees in front of them that you're gonna see a lot. That oh, that John Jimston music is really good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's one of the best. Twitter reactions I saw to Kid Rock getting announced was a picture of Kid Rock next to a picture of Jim Johnston, and he looked pretty upset. It says, when a guy who does one theme gets into the Hall of Fame before you who've made hundreds. Oh, (laughs) shit. Good Um, point. But it was great to go back and see a wrestling event that didn't end right when the main event ended, that there was still a little more to come. Yeah. And have this big event. I mean, I know we just had that with the Rumble with Ronda Rousey, but those are few and far between now where this was like, wait, oh, so the main event's over and we're going to a commercial break because we're coming back. Um, but And I like how Jim Ross set up for Sting and, and Sid, we got to hurry because we're almost out of time without saying it. Um, but just like I'm excited because I remember the next pay-per-view pretty okay. Um, and so we, we get a lot of Elvira, which is going to be fun. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's in Chicago, which makes is is pretty neat. Just because you wouldn't probably like, I mean, obviously there was some of those Starcade, Chi Town Heat, but like it's not exactly what I associate WCW with. But no, man, no, not at all. It's well, think about this. They uh, everyone equates WCW with Southern stuff. Here we are. We're going to Chicago. The Steiners had just beat the Midnight Express for those U.S. tag belts in the Meadowlands. Yeah, I mean, so like you know revisionist history likes to really push WCW just being a Southern thing before they blow up, which obviously isn't the case. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, pump for it. So, uh, comments, things of that nature, you can drop them on our, uh, our Facebook page, new blood rising podcast. We're on Twitter at new blood pod. Our next episode is going to be Halloween havoc 90, um, with Sting defending the title against uh, against Sid, I think that's right. There's, correct me if I'm wrong. There is not another clash before then, right? Nope. Okay. Nope. I just, just want to make sure I didn't. I was. I wasn't jumping the gun. But uh, we'll be coming back to that hopefully in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, too, Martin will be joining us, which will be cool. I'm, he had said there's a good chance he will be, so that would be awesome. Uh, it'd be a hell of a pay per view to jump in on, that's for sure. But um, I myself, I'm at William, William Rankin eighty three. I'm at the Jason Keesler. And I'm at CM underscore stabs. And we thank you guys for downloading this, and we'll see you guys at the next episode, Halloween Havoc 90.